Welcome to episode 51 of the Winning Six Podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me this week we have staff writer Jordan Tresky and managing editor Ty Windish. 51 must be special occasion too, Ty is back two weeks running. We've got a lot to talk about this week. First of all, the nightmare is over. Um, we've all woken up in some sort of cold sweat, I don't know, maybe tremors, dry mouth, but the books season is over. You don't have to watch any more books basketball this year. Um, don't send me angry tweets for the start. Well, I feel I feel like I I can speak on behalf of the books fan base when I say that. If any of you, he's, he's going to love that I'm doing this, but if any of you listened to the most recent time out with Ty, um, Ty and Nick Whalen from Bookscapal sort of talked a little bit on that about being ready for the book season to finish and I don't think they were the only ones we're all we're all pretty happy it's over just nice little plug there if you haven't listened yet you can go back and get it Ty doesn't yeah. need to say anything Ty doesn't need to say anything I've done no done it's not a plug I just wanted to say I, I was really hoping when I said that it's finally over, it would have been really awkward if he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I love basketball no matter what. I was really glad Nick fell in with my line of thinking on that. I'm See, glad we're not the only ones who were sick of it. I feel confident that Nick really does love basketball. And that's oh, yeah, why he was, that's why he was glad basketball. it was over. I mean, that's yeah. the more you love basketball, the more glad you are that this book season is over, the playoffs... And then hopefully next year the books can be part of that good basketball thing that we all enjoy so much. Yes. This year they weren't. And after the season was over, literally when we awoke from the nightmare on Thursday morning, the books, well, not all of the books, but some of the books had exit interviews. Um, this is common practice. If you're not familiar, it's not something unusual that this happened I guess it's hypothetically it's supposed to be when the players go, they clear out their lockers and they talk to the media for the last time the summer and sort of that's it, everyone goes with their business. I'm not sure how true that is anymore. I'm going to guess a lot of the books guys don't clean out their lockers. I know some of them were talking about, like Henson was saying he was going to go to Florida for two weeks and then be back in Milwaukee and back sort of working out and things like that. So I'm sure, obviously, if you don't have a contract next year, you clear out your stuff, but not so much of that. Even for the media side of things, these guys talk to the media from time to time, so not strictly for that purpose. What it did do, off the back of such a disappointing season, 
You might have noticed if you caught any of the comments, they were a little bit sharper. There was a little bit more edge to them um, than maybe there would have been 12 months earlier. Everything wasn't so nicey-nice, and it was sort of, I don't know, fun. It was. It was It was more fun than the basketball we saw against the Pacers the other night. Let's get into it, though. We talked last week a lot about Jason Kidd and John Hammond. We had all the rumors about Jason Kidd and John Hammond. To catch up in the time since that podcast, we had the owners come out very vocally in support of, I'm not saying in support of Jason Kidd in the mini press conference they did prior to the season finale against the Pacers. Even the hint that an extension would be very, very quickly on the way to. And then the next day, I feel safe in saying, they released their public letter marking two years as the owners of the team. Two years that have flown in, I think we'll all agree. That's sort of, in that letter, we got support for both guys. So in that time, from all of everything we talked about last last week, we had the owners come out and support Kid, the owners come out and support Kid and Hammond. Then we also had Kid speaking on exit interviews, and somewhat to my surprise, even though it is the norm around the NBA, John Hammond also spoke. He actually spoke to the media for longer than any of the players, longer than Kid did, um, and they had some interesting things to say. I'm not quite sure where to start with this, so we'll go and we'll jump in to some of the more interesting comments. Um, for any of you who haven't caught them, we have a post up with all of the exit interviews, all the video from the interviews on the day that the book shared out. It's all there for you to see, and I've highlighted a lot of the sort of key quotes if you don't have two hours in your hands to watch books people talk about, books basketball. I understand if you've had enough of that. Let's get into some of what was said. Kid, first of all, credits his second season to being part of his process, part of the team's process. Um, I think the, the key word he wants put out there was patience, and it was a year for trying to find answers. One thing that he's joked about in the past that I'd be interested to hear how you guys feel on, he definitely wasn't joking about on this occasion. That was three-point shooting. Kid made it very clear he blamed basically everything this season on three-point shooting. After his 90s basketball comment that we discussed on the last podcast, Kid made it very clear, if you aren't going to shoot the tree, you can't keep up with these teams. That's the way the league has gone. The interesting part of that was how he sort of pinned that blame on the book season. Quote from Kid was, For us, we had plans of OJ, Bayless, Chris, and Vasquez being on the floor and giving us that three-point shooting or attempts and spreading the floor for Jabari and Yanis. Unfortunately, it just never got there. We had to go in the paint. We had to score the ball. But unfortunately, in today's game, two isn't going to be three. When you guys hear that, how much do you feel that's revisionist to say that that was the plan? And in a way, it's sort of convenient for kid that Vasquez was out for the year or that, that Mayo missed much of the year or shot poorly because... I don't know, that didn't scream out to any of us. I don't think anyone at the start of the season said, books are going to be a good three-point shooting this year, they're going to have a lot to offer from deep, and that will be a real part of their arsenal. How do you guys feel about that? Is it something that feels a little bit with hindsight, things sort of 
factor together nicely to be able to say, well, it didn't work out, but that's what we wanted to do. I mean, or, look, I, I got a mic, drop, a mic drop moment for this. You have a starting ideal five of Michael Carter-Williams, Chris Middleton, Giannis Tedekumpo, Jabari Parker, and Greg Monroe, and you say that the goal was to shoot threes this year? I, I, I heard one shooter in that group, and that's Chris Middleton. That's it. Nobody else there is shooting threes. So I just, I mean, yeah, it would have helped to have those guys, but you're not going to play, you know, all three of the guards he had mentioned together on the bench. I mean, maybe the Bucks would have because they didn't have any forwards. But it just seems to me it's like if, if you wanted shooting that bad, then why would the starting lineup be MCW, Giannis, Jabari, and Monroe all in there if none of them can shoot threes? I mean, Giannis could for a little while, but at the start of the season, no one looked at Giannis and said, yeah, he'll hit, you know, 38% this year, and he didn't, clearly. Yeah, I I would feel the same way. I mean, obviously, Kid did ways to um, change that many times throughout the season. And even uh, when Zach Lowe, Zach wrote, wrote a couple of articles, but I believe the first one was just about like you know with the Bucks season already was a disappointment, and he mentioned that you couldn't play that lineup like we thought heading into the season. That was probably I mean offensively, yeah, there were. Where the spacing issues, all that stuff, are, are applied to that too, but more so defensively. I mean, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to do it, built built around their defense, and you know, get points coming off fast breaks, all this stuff. Very similar to what the Bucks did last year, and that didn't work. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, again, I don't know. The whole injury, I've seen the injury. Uh, Just to cut across on that, the, on the injury thing, that was something that the players talked about a lot as well. And I didn't know what way to process that. I didn't know if that was like the official party line or possibly even worse, if the players had bought into that or were feeling sorry for themselves or maybe, and definitely quite possibly, were feeling the extra minutes load from guys being out injured. The Bucks didn't really have a chance to begin with because once those injuries start coming, as a player, if you're thinking, oh, well, we're so injured, I mean, how can we do anything? Well, you're never going to be able to make any real impact. So for me, that was definitely a big factor in. It wasn't just Kid and Hammond saying that the players were injured. The fact that there was guys on the team, Middleton was someone who in particular mentioned injuries. That's sort of it just in my head. It made me think about, hmm, well what way does that manifest itself or what sort of positive impact can the team play with when they're the thoughts that are sort of ruminating in their head? I don't know. It, it was a strange one. Yeah, and I mean, they've... We, I remember we were talking about this when these quotes came out. If you really think about it, back to where Trachia began, Bucks were dealing with injuries. You know, obviously Jabari was probably the biggest one. But guys like Ennis, OJ Mayo had a weird kind of hamstring strain that kind of I believe he missed the first part of the season. Not first part of the season, but like first month. I think fifteen Maybe? games or so sounds about. Yeah, I mean it was it was all throughout the season, and I can see that being excused, but it's not. I mean, I don't know. It's still not the whole reason they, why they were never the Pelicans or the Grizzlies, for example. Yeah, exactly. It was never it was never that depleted to the point where you had to 
go out signing guys. And also, if the Grizzlies could manage to make the playoffs with the injuries they had, it's not yeah. really an excuse for the books. I yeah. mean, <laughs> there's no if that team and anyone who watched, I I fully intended on watching Game One of Spurs Grizzlies, and I got through the first quarter and the start of the second. And I just went, my God, I need to watch something else because this is killing me. This is this is so bad. And it's not Memphis' fault, but that's a team that's injured. So if they manage to get to the playoffs in the West with their injuries, they've been missing their key guys. That was one thing the books were lucky with this year, thankfully, that the most important players were around. It was the role players who were missing. Yeah. And, a lot, and it also happened to be a lot of them our veterans that, you know, they shipped out these, <laughs> the very highly productive veterans that we talked about so many times, but, like, it, it was just more illuminated by the fact that, you know, you had guys like Grievous, uh, Mayo, even though his season, both of their seasons were terrible before or so, or before they were out, but, uh, I don't know, it, it does feel like an excuse to... I, I, I don't know. It's just a weird kind of quote, like, in general with Eddie. Just it's, it's, it's what you, no, I don't even think it's fair to pin that on kid. It's sort of what you expect. It's like, it is an organization standpoint, too. You sort of do expect it. But when he's talking about the solutions going forward being three-point shooting, I think it just gets put under a little bit more focus, and you have to think, well, I really hope they weren't thinking that what they had this year was enough in terms of three-point shooting. Because if that's what they feel they need to reach the level up for next year, this problem is never getting solved. Yeah. The, one, the one that was even more interesting for me, and still on the three-point team, the three-point defense. I don't know if either of you caught what he attributed. Oh, man. That was... That, I mean, that, let I me, let was, me give I mean, the quote, I, just for anyone who hasn't heard it. Let me give the quote. And then give, you can yeah, give the quote. Give so, it was asked about how they can look at sort of putting extra focus on three-point defense next year or what ways they can work to improve it. And his quote was, you've got to have guys in practice who are a threat. With our health, we didn't have that. So, in other words, the um, same, way, same way he was attributing the loss of Mayo Vasquez to injury for hurting the team's results on the court... He was also putting that down as a factor for why their three-point defense was as poor because they weren't having to defend against them in practice. Two things. First off, Ennis played better than OJ Mayo, and I'd probably say around as good as Grievous Vasquez. He better, whole better. I'm, I own a Grievous Vasquez jersey, and I'll say better. Vasquez really distributed well, but his shooting was poor most of the yeah. time. Um, but I, I, Ennis is probably roughly as good on defense. So, yeah, you're probably – I mean, Tyler Ennis played better than those guys did. And they had down seasons. They were expected to be better. But still, I mean, it's not like they went out and there was just nothing. Like, Tyler Ennis, we, we give him props. He deserves props because it was like Miles Plumlee. He didn't play for almost the whole year. And he came in and played pretty damn well. The other and, thing is it's not like they just struggled with three-point shooting for, like, five games and then figured it out. I mean, they – Okay, they didn't have the guys in practice. How about the games? They certainly had three-point shooters against them in games. And, you know, I'm not an NBA player, but just from watching, I could kind of figure out, like, if you leave a guy alone, he's going to make the three. I don't know if you have to, like, practice that, aside from getting torched every single game, to really drill it through your head to, to do that. I, I don't know if it 
takes that much to figure that one out, but I, I've never played in the NBA, so I can't be certain. That's true. They are definitely getting reps that way. And once again, we aren't inside sort of inside the world that is the NBA. We're sort of on the outside looking in. But once again, you often hear coaches talk about how little practice time they have during the season anyway. Yeah, I was thinking and, of that too. How the time for practice matters is like training camp. And those guys, for the most part, even Mayo got injured in preseason. Because remember, we had the point Mayo game against yeah. the Cavs. He was injured after that. So throughout training camp, he was healthy. Vasquez was... He wasn't recovering from surgery. I think at, this, at this point, it's fair to say Vasquez was never healthy. Uh, maybe he should have, the second they signed him, I don't know, when he had a medical, if something had shown up, they probably would have had him under the knife straight away. But that might have been better for all parties. Uh, but that's the other interesting part of that practice side of it is that, well, seemingly there's not a lot of practice time. As you said, they got the reps in game. And then... When a lot of stuff was drilled in training camp, those guys were there. That's a pretty. I don't know. I it's not I like we're talking about like some complicated like icing the pick and roll or like weak side help defense on you know uh, off ball screens. It's like defending the three pointer is something you pretty much have to do at every level. And I mean, the, if you don't defend the three pointer in high school, you'll get torched. And the thing with the books was it wasn't like they were always just late on rotations, where that's the sort of thing you could say, okay, practice, they just need to get a little bit better at rotating defensively. There was plenty of times where there was just no one there. They were wide open. It wasn't a guy arriving late and the shots going off over him. These were wide open trees. So, I don't know. That Part of that is just, hey, guys, when you see that guy in the corner wide open, you need to get out to him. It's like, that's a that's a pretty simple fundamental aspect of it. It doesn't. Once again, there's only so much we should expect from Kid from Hammond. They're not gonna stick a knife in themselves with their comments. But I would sort of like to hear some idea or some I don't know, just something to reassure us that this isn't gonna be the case next year. And that wasn't what that was. Just saying. Well, if we need, if we get more three-point shooters, well, then we'll defend and shoot the three better. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Most importantly, from kids' comments, talked about his future. He was asked specifically about it. The key part of his answer, he sort of dodged around answering this question for a little bit um, until he was told the ownership he had been pressed the night before. It was Charles Gardner of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said sort of having put a little bit of pressure on the ownership, they admitted that an extension was likely. It, would be, it was something that they'd discuss at least. And once that was said to Kid, he opened up a little bit more. What he had to say, um, to quote Kid, is I've still got a year under my deal, so my job now is to look at who can help us offensively and defensively. Maybe also looking at a vet, you know, being able to have a guy who has won and understands what it takes to win. Then talk to the owners about in what direction they want to go and who to bring in. Hopefully I can land a free agent here. Literally uh, none of that was about coaching. Like who? not one small part of that statement had anything to do with coaching a team. Does he know what his job is right now? Do we know what his job is right no, now? No, we don't. I think that's, is the better that's, question. That's a given. We don't, but 
I I don't if if he does is is probably even a valid question too. I don't. It's worrying. I don't know. It, it makes me think then about in a normal situation. I hate to have to term it like that, but in a normal situation, how much does a coach talk about recruitment in a summer sense? I, and they, only they about it. Yeah, they like, don't really though. They'll else. sort of they'll say that's a conversation we'll have with the general manager and the scouting team, whatever, but they don't normally specifically go into it. Even well, I'm trying even, to think of what coaches talk, usually do say. I'll talk from a Hawks perspective because the coach is the president of basketball operations. Hypothetically, this is the scenario a lot of people believe kid wants to be in if he isn't in already. Around the trade deadline and everything, when Mike Budenholzer would get asked, he'd sort of give very vague answers and he'd leave it as, Wes is working on that. That's something you need to talk to Wes about a little bit more. Wes Wilcox being the general manager. And I was like, there was no decisions being made that he didn't have his hand in, but he sort of still distanced himself from it. So it is a little bit strange. <sighs> Come on, Jordan. <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah. I, I, I'm actually, I just to jump in before Jordan answers, as I tweeted out earlier, I sent out our staff end-of-season awards ballot today, and when I sent it out, there was one particular question. I'll go into details. We'll, we'll have answers to it. But there was one question that was a little bit loaded. I mean, it took, you had to take a definitive stance one way or another on a controversial issue. So I get the answers back from one Jordan Tresky. I'm scrolling through, and the way the survey had auto-filled it in was, respondents skipped this answer. And I was like, <laughs> even, even in a survey, Jordan will sit on the fence. Jordan, don't sit on the fence. What, how do you feel? What does this, what does this J- Jason Kidd quote make Jordan Tresky feel like? Are you Jimmy's Russell? Um. Uh, I I don't know. I just very. <laughs> I it's funny because I I I remember I looked uh I saw that after the letter from the Bucks owners, um, I looked up this article I wrote <laughs> a year before, and it was like thinking about you know all the change that has happened to the team in a year and all this stuff. And a lot, the big reason why I said this is already a success is the arrival of Jason Kidd. And I probably, I'm not, I don't say I want to, I'm not 180, but I'll say I'm probably 150 <laughs> of a reversal of just how I feel about Kidd and his general uh, I'm gonna, I, gotta, I remember that piece. I haven't read it recently. I'll come to your defense a little bit there because... It wasn't even all about his coaching. A big part of it, and it was for everyone at the time, was the Jason Kidd figurehead. And that did everything we wanted it to do, as in it attracted a major free agent in the summer, and that was a big part of, I guess, that whole process. So, Well, was it? Was it, though? Yeah, I I believe it. I feel like Lasry Lasry and Chris Middleton were the ones who I keep reading who did most of the work on on that on Monroe signing. That's what, what was it? Windhorse wrote the big piece on that. Well, I, I was, feel, it, wait, was it Lazarus or Eden? 
But they were already. Was last I didn't remember when they did exit interviews after last year. They were already talking about getting a big, big free agent. Like, and I, I think part of that, and as we said, even this quote I just read out from this exit interview ends with "Hopefully, I can land a free agent here," which that nearly leads you to believe that's something that's been discussed with him as always. Like, part of his job is to help land free agents. And I suppose even if you're right, Middleton, obviously, for obvious reasons, being a former teammate, a friend of Monroe's, had a role in any sort of early overtures or trying to convince him. And even if it was Lazary or Edens who got it there, when eventually they all get in the room and Kid was in the room and they met him, I'm trying to think, was it in Washington they met him at midnight? Just after midnight, I think it was 1am 1, like yeah. 1 or 2am when the books met him. With a video from Marlon Wayans or something. Is they made a video with Marlon Wayans. In, let, me, let me pull up this article. Really that's quick. a real thing? That's a real thing? Yeah. Look it up. They made a... Let me, let, me, let me pull up this Windhorse article. Okay, well, when you pull that up, I need Jordan to explain to me. Who who made a video with Marlon Wayans and why? One of the owners contacted Marlon Wayans and he... I don't know what the video is of. They didn't really go into it, but apparently he was a part of their pitch to Monroe and it... But Mar it Marlon Wayans is from New York. Lazary led the pitch. Um, Marlon Wayans was in support of the pitch, was it? Was um, it? Uh, I'd rather. Now. I'd rather believe it was like Here Marlon Wayans. Here's, Here's the quote. Here's the quote. The Bucks showed off drawings of the arena. They talked about their coming practice facility. They showed off their new uniforms. They had a video made with comedian Marlon Wayans for the moment. He was cracking jokes about why I should come to Milwaukee and talking about the new arena, Monroe said about the video. He had some stuff on Jason Kidd and the new owners. There were a lot of laughs. We need this video. That's, that's I'm going to send in a Freedom of Information Act on this video. I need this video. It's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I, I don't I'm know how I haven't this until now, but... Don't worry, Woj, sometime in this summer, if Woj's reports... His ulterior motives, as some people like to think they are, um, ridiculous. But if they don't get him anywhere, maybe he'll release the Marlon Wayans video. Uh, bizarre, that is. I don't no, if, if it's a good video, he'll never release it. Well, yeah, that's that's very true. Marlon Wayans does not release anything that is good. Uh, oh, man. I, didn't, I, said, I meant Woj, because Woj is kind of against Kid, it seems like, but... You, yeah, you, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to diss Marlon Wayans. That's half for white chicks. Notice, notice Jordan Trest <gasps> did on the fence again. I was, oh, no, I was just about to say, he's smoking like a person that owns the movie White Chicks on Blu-ray. I think, I think, we, I think we have it in the house. Oh, I, it's not mine, it's, it's Rick Kyle's who had the decreed of, that's I think the sort we of thing that movie. no one says, Ty. I think we have that in the house. White chicks. By the it's way, this, I mean, this seems like a good time to try. Still, no one has claimed the signed Jordan Tresky "Lady in the Water" DVD. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> Hashtag. I don't play it's a terrible movie. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan will sign it and post it to you. Hashtag "Lady in the Water." Yes, get at us. Hashtag Cleveland. I'm heat. disappointed. 
Cleveland Heat. I'm disappointed no one's claimed that. I might claim it just to watch it and then give it back to Jordan and then he can send it. I might claim it just to make life difficult for Jordan as he'd have to post it to Ireland. But... <laughs> I'll just throw it in the ocean and tell you to look for yeah, it. It's, it's on months. the way. Um, the lady is I'll put in it the in water. a bottle. It's where it belongs. Lady, <laughs> lady in the water. Lady oh. in the water in the water. I feel like we've got sidetracked here. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> We're all in agreement that this is a strange comment. Yes, actually, I have an additional thing too, um, because it's funny. I remember when you see the video of the owners talking to uh, Jim Paschke, they were talking about you know their this plan stuff like this. And really, you know, they feel like they feel like we're going in the right direction, all this stuff. And one of the questions I think Paschke, it was one of the last questions in the interview, and Paschke said like, so when you when you think of this plan, or when you think of where you were two years ago to where you are now, is it, do you feel like you're comfortable with where you're heading? And they're you know obviously overwhelmingly positive, all this stuff. And they said, and they were talking about like you know trying to find success, and of course the Warriors are brought up because you know they're the big team in the league. And they brought up, you know, it's about, like, basically their quote was, it's about zigging where other people are zagging and all this stuff. And I find, like, their quotes are very, you know, purposeful. These, It's very, oh, yeah, you can glimpse into a process. Whenever Jason Kidd and this quote in particular, it's just like... Hold, hold on a minute. Like hold on a minute. You just said it's about zigging where other people are zagging. And then you said the process in the next line. Wasn't... Wasn't yeah, that, that's all. That was a line. That was, that was also a line in the hinky letter. That wasn't the hinky letter, but they yeah, he said, that that too. said that before too. Did they actually say that? They they brought out the hinky letter. I don't think I don't think everyone said that those now. specific words, but they said like when people are going one direction, you want to try to go the other direction and meet them at some at some. Jordan Jordan's breaking some, news that Jordan Sam is, Hinkie is getting yeah. brought in. Books are. Um, I have I have one other thing too. Oh God! Um, well, kind of did this year. Um, it's funny we're talking about the the company line being injuries. I like that the one guy who didn't uh, espouse the company yeah. line was our man John Henson. John Henson's like, no, we we were out of shape. We we we'll get to we get to Henson. Henson is as real. I, as I just love that he was the one guy. Yeah, he he's not he's not citing injuries. We we, I mean, we get to Henson. Every, even even the way that Henson said that was pretty special. Because uh, he knew he was He's saying the, the wrong thing, and he did it anyway. But it's pretty great. <laughs> we'll move on from Kid. Hammond said a lot of interesting things. Um, I I feel like he was more. He was more willing to admit the mistakes of moving on from the veterans, or he, he he didn't quite go that far. But say when he talked to a chemistry, he acknowledged it was something. It was a problem. He quoted former Golden State coach Al Adels and the famous quote of, it's one of those things, you don't know how you've got it when it's there, and then when it's not there, you don't know how you've lost it. He was a little bit more open to just the idea that things might have gone wrong in some places. That in itself was interesting. He was also open about players who he wants back and I felt like this was like really definitive and sort of bold just on players' futures in general 
Miles Plum Plummy came up. They talked about the whole centre position, how he felt about that. Hammond said, "Our hope is that we want to have Miles back next year. Miles is a good man, high character guy, and I think he's a good fit for our team." He also indicated he wanted Steve Novak back. Um, then he was asked about, I think the three players specifically who were mentioned were Johnny O'Brien, Damian Inglis, and Tyler Ennis, um, which I wouldn't have included in the same bracket, but was asked about their future, if there was any possibility there would be cuts this summer. Um, his reply was, it's a part of the evaluation process. As we look at it, we'll continue to look, explore, and make those decisions as time presents itself. Potentially, but we're going to have some roster spots available that we're going to be able to do that with. So that's potentially, there could be cuts, was the context he was, he was going on that. On all of that, being so open about free agency plans, a little bit strange again. I mean, that's not going to drive Miles Plumney's price down at all. Either, you know what I mean? There's a lot of... I'm, I don't disagree. I'm glad he wants to bring Miles Plumley back. Not so sold on Steve Novak. And worth noting, Kid also said he wanted Novak back. So, not to say he told you so, but I was on that one quite a few weeks back. Novak will be a book again for whatever reason. It Was, was that unusual too, do you feel, to be so bold in talking about guys who you don't have to make decisions on the day after the season ends? Yes. Yes, it was. But also, considering the players involved, uh, besides Ennis, because I had to stick up for him, uh, <laughs> uh, I just think they realized that because, well, they because of the, where they are at with the JLB in English and the fact that they don't have a D-League team. They didn't really stick to uh, one plan throughout the year of getting them continuous minutes, all this stuff, that that their you know, backup players aren't in a position to where they would like to be in the future if they wouldn't be successful. And, I mean... We've been talking about this for a while now, like just continuing, like, oh, this could be a, a direction where they go. You never know. Uh, they need, I mean, this year, we've talked about, again, we've said this a lot too, this year showed that you need, even when the Jabari's coming back and all this stuff, you still need a very valuable four or even a three, too. They were very small and small forwards, too. So I'm not surprised by the comments. and. Even though they are very bold to say it one day after the uh, season has just ended, but just given the events of the season, all this, you know, context and everything, and <laughs> because of that, it makes sense to why to say that. And I don't know. It. I I don't know if they'll. I, I'm not certain if that. Ultimately, they are cheap players, and they can always develop too. But I I don't know. It's I guess it's a 50-50 call at this point. It, if both of them or either of them or all three of them or whatever stay. This is uh, hardly related, but uh, you know how Zach Lowe is in really uh, DGAF mode these days. It feels like like it feels like Zach Lowe just kind of goes wild on the low post. Like that's gonna be me all year. 
if they let J.O.B. go and they bring back Steve Novak. It is just going to be... There's going to be zero Fs G'd. I'll say that. I can't say more on this podcast, but if that happens, we're going to be busting out more censorship bleeps because it's going to be... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like to... There's not much filter here if you listen to the podcast. The filter's going to be gone. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to wear my jersey every podcast. And I'll bring on whatever guest I get with Time Out with Ty. It could be completely unrelated. And I'll just be like, so. You can bring on Johnny Frank. About... He won't be doing anything. Man, he's going to be dropping five, five games like it's nothing all in year China. if he goes somewhere else. Um, if, he was in, if he was in China, he'd probably be an all-star. I, I don't know. China's good now. I'm not. I'm not, not here really. to. I'm the not best here to. The player in China is still Marbury. No, it's not. It's not. He won like three MVPs in a row before last year. There's the younger guys who go over in spells now, like Jordan Crawford, who is a Who's lot better say? than Marbury now. He's Jordan Crawford is probably still a serviceable NBA player. Other things probably work against that happening. His last, I mean, for example, his last NBA game, he scored 41 points, which is the most for a guy that. Retired from the NBA. Well, no one talked about that, did they? No one talked about that. Um, <laughs> to, to just jump in on this, I'm not necessarily saying I condone either Inglis and Job or both of them. Job? I do that sometimes. A little of development leaking out? No, that's, that annoys me when people say that because that's G-O-B. Spell G-O-B. development character. I know. Dab. You get me. You get me upset with that. It should be J O B to be, to be Job. But anyway, if we're talking about Johnny O'Brien. We're talking about Damian Inglis. If they do cut them, I can understand that if they use both of their second round picks, which they have, because that's basically the same thing. If they want to upgrade the roster and they want to still have two young guys in reserve, making that level of money, they can actually do that this year. It would seem unlikely to keep both of those picks if they keep both of Inglis and Johnny O'Brien. But there could be an argument that, okay, we know what we have or we're not as confident about it and we'd rather say, I don't I don't like the Novak idea at all. I think that's not the type of veteran to be bringing in. I think there's veterans who can still do stuff in the NBA. And the thing with Novak particularly he didn't have a whole lot left in him when he arrived in Milwaukee, and now he's coming off a serious injury. It's like, why? I I understand the ties, and they they did it didn't work out, so they might sort of have sentimental reasons they want to make it work, but there's not a real logical basketball reason. I mean, it's 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 worse than bringing Chris Copeland in. Notice how low I let my voice go for that. It's true though. Seriously, I mean, his... Cope was still Cope was still playing at a higher level, and he wasn't coming in off a serious injury. So it's fine to go. Oh, he's not going to earn much anyway, and that is true. But I just I don't get why you're committed to that right now. Like they've been both Kid and Hammond said it. It's like you know maybe there is a chance you can build a roster of fifteen guys better than him. You didn't need to say that already. I mean. Look, even if, let's say, Monroe's either kept or they trade him and get one player back, if you let uh, Vasquez, Bayless, 
uh, Mayo and who's the other person whose contract is Plumley. on? Plumley. Plum. No, not Plumley though. Mayo, Velasquez, Bayless, and Novak. Novak is it? If all of those guys walk, you can draft three guys and bring in a free agent. And the team is terrible still. Terrible. That's not doing enough. This team needs to make like that. You'd want your your rookies to hit the ground, like really hit the ground running. You'd need a second round guys to contribute. If they're they're talking about getting veterans, so that's going to happen one way or another. We've got to gear ourselves up. The reality is they're either going to get good veterans or bad veterans, probably a mix of both. That's the reality. So they don't have as many spaces as. I mean, they have enough. They, they have enough spaces where really it's a full bench. And they have quite a bit of money, too, in terms of bench money coming off. With guys like Vasquez, Mayo, Bayless, they're, they're sort of, and even as with Plumlee, he's making significant money if he didn't come back. But they've made such a big noise about veterans, they're going to bring those guys in. And that's where I sort of go. It gets tighter for space for the young guys. They could do that. I agree with you, Ty. I just don't see it because that's not going to make the team better now. That's still putting things sort of down the line. And as much as everyone is still very much on that this is a process that's going to take time, I got a real sense from all of the quotes that they do feel like they've moved down that timeline. They're further along, and we're a little bit closer to when things need to start happening. We're nowhere near there yet, but it will get there very quickly. If this season was the patient season, another season like that becomes the the loss of patient season. Um, so that definitely factors into it in a big way. I don't know. I mean, even the makeup of what way to go about that is interesting in itself. Maybe they'll say, we don't really need another rookie in. We're not sure there's someone we really like with the 10th pick overall. What can we get player-wise? Get us a veteran. I know, considering what happened last summer, that's going to be terrifying to people. But with the way this year has played out, that's a real possibility. They'll feel like they have a lot of good young players as it is. They need players who can help them sooner rather than later, if not this year, the year after. And they might be interested in a package of good young players or a really high-level veteran on a good deal. There's interesting questions there. It's funny, I was I was even thinking, say, yesterday, um, as we record this, watching the Pistons-Cavs game, when Jeff Van Gundy was speaking about how good Marcus Morris' contract was. And it is, it's interesting, a guy like that, say if the Pistons really wanted the 10th overall pick, which the books might have, and we'll talk about a little bit more later, but if that's what they really wanted... Marcus Morris and maybe someone else, another useful young piece or another pick, a future pick or something. The books would probably think twice about that with their shooting need, with their need at the four, guy with a little bit more experience. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good idea, but it's the sort of thing that I could see them being open to with the way they're talking. Is that something that is sort of ringing true to you too, Jordan? Yeah, certainly. I mean, they've really acknowledged that all throughout the season, you know, this loss of a veteran presence, um, even even players kind of touched upon, you know, going into camp, kind of being missing some kind of, uh, I guess, edge or leadership 
um, from a player perspective. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it brings up very interesting questions. Obviously, we are in the 10th position uh, at this point. You never know where ping pong balls will, will land. But I'm going to I'm gonna put a bet, Jordan, that they won't be in the book's favor. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I the, the ping pong balls might beat the magic <laughs> into the top three and the books fall to 11. Yeah. And they uh, bring back Scott Skiles uh, for, in some weird way. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was a funny. That was terrifying. Horrible. Yeah, terrifying. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. It's it again. This this whole off season, it, it's for as much progress as for as much as we know about the team for good and for worse. This off season is very interesting on so many levels because they're at this point where now you're starting to see where the you know core three as we keep calling them could be you know potential all this stuff and then it's it's about trying to find the pieces around them whether it's a start the starting point guard or starting big man, or just a guy that you need to play 10 minutes off the bench. And I feel like we're starting to hear that more now than we did uh, at the beginning of last season, which is, I guess, maybe a little encouraging because of just what happened this last year and everything kind of falling apart from the bench wise. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's going to be very interesting how, they value this whole assets cap space, you know, Plumlee or Novak in particular. Uh, it's like a, it's like we're moving into stage two of the whole development process now. This is no longer accumulating the pieces. The pieces are here, and I don't think any books fan would even agree with that. And that's where this pick is a great pick. There will be very good players available. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the be-all and end-all. Obviously, the better the pick ends up or the better player they can get out of it, that would be great. At the same time, though, they still have Yanis, Middleton, Jabari, and the future that those guys have set out for them already. That's not something that's in question. So that is where it becomes, how can we best complement those guys? What's the best way to maximize their skills or to cover up their weaknesses which may be an even bigger issue and part of that could be that they're not actually that worried about the starting point guard or the starting center and it becomes has a lot of really sort of top level teams teams that have a big tree it's like well these are three guys we'll look to find guys we can plug in around them and hopefully find a combination that works but we're not going to commit ourselves or tie ourselves into anyone in particular. And if Monroe does move on this summer in some way, I think that could be the biggest lesson they'll learn from that is we don't necessarily need to go looking for the next big fish. We've already caught what we need to catch. And it's about just sort of plugging in the gaps now. It's, it's not all about you don't need four stars to win the league. Three is a number. It's become very clear. If you've got three really great guys, that works out. If you can get five guys, all the better. But they don't have to be at that level. 
and I I definitely think that's something that might have factored into the books thinking a little. The penny might have dropped on that one, and if that is, that's going to open up a completely different approach to it. And if I'm honest, I don't think it'll be one that'll be all that popular when it happens. But by the time next season rolls around, the start of next season, it could be one that pays off in a big way and even quicker than a lot of people anticipate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were we kind of talked about that, especially around the trade deadline with all the rumors. It's about more so than anything. It's not about landing this big fish in free agency. Uh, it's about trying to find the pieces that fit together. Yeah, I, I think heading into the season, we said even even if we overvalued the bench, I mean, personally, I definitely did. <laughs> um, we thought that this Bucks team was more talented than last year's Bucks team. Or maybe talent is not the right word. Uh, it probably I is. I mean, with Monroe, we thought there was. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it certainly was more top-heavy talent than... Talent wasn't the word we were using to describe the value of Dudley, Ilyasova, Pachulia. So yeah. I, I think talent was definitely something that came to mind more with the addition of Monroe. It was definitely the sort of... It wasn't a buzzword, but it would have been there in the consciousness for people that, yeah, this is a, a more talented group. That was one of the areas where they were going to win out. Less experience, but more talent would have been maybe the way a lot of people felt about it. Yeah. And, you know, over the course of the season, we've seen guys like Miles Plumley coming off the bat. Or basically, he was given a chance to start, and it worked really well. And even as good as, good as Monroe's first half of the season was, uh, it still got to the point where, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't gloss over the issues that the Bucks had with, you know, with him and Nick's uh, going through it, all this stuff. So, I, I mean, I'm glad they kind of realized that, but it still is very, it's, I mean, they, it can mean a lot of things of what do they expect from this offseason in terms of players that they are looking at. Because just saying the word veteran means a whole bunch. As you pointed out, Steve Novak, he's a veteran. But is he a productive veteran? Probably not. I mean, he certainly shoot, but that's all you can ha- ask for, he, he right? Could um, shoot, could shoot. Um, I, I don't know. It's, that's that's a whole other issue. But at, at least they're acknowledging this, where they are, the process of trying to get to this championship caliber team, I guess. So to move on from. I guess the decision makers, the people who have the big picture in mind for the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's look at some of the details that came from the players on Exit Interview Day. This is where the mask slips a little bit and you get a real insight into maybe how things were. And there's definitely some loaded quotes. It hasn't been talked about much, and I understand why. Uh, but I think anyone who's sort of listened to everything across the board would admit there's definitely some real tension amongst some people in the locker room. I can't even speculate on that. We we don't know, but there's a lot of loaded quotes, and as I go through some here, you'll probably get a feel for that. And we'll start off with MCW. MCW was the one who made the oh, big boy. headlines. 
this was the one that seemed to reach everyone on Twitter, where some of the, the details of Exit Interview Day haven't necessarily circulated. MCW's comment on Yanis got out there, and it was one that the reaction was interesting because it was Dime Magazine, I'm going to say, who tweeted out the next day a picture of him and Yanis with the quote, try to make it into something, and that's when it sort of caught fire. And the reaction for most people is to play it down and be like, yeah, well, that is what the reality is. What, there's, nothing to, there's nothing to see here. And I found that funny because anyone who actually listened to the quote or heard the context or the tone it was said in, it would be hard to say it wasn't a little bit strange. Um, and anyone who's saying otherwise, that sort of goes against what most people have been saying about MCW over the last few months anyway. So... It definitely raises its own question. We'll, we'll get to it. He was asked about Yanis being point Yanis, I guess, as it's, as it's been put, how that will impact him, how it will impact his summer. Michael Carter-Williams' reply was, I think this Yanis playing point guard next year got a little out of hand. I think he's definitely going to control the ball a lot more, but as far as he's not going to guard a point guard, he'll be guarding, or I'll, sorry, I'll be guarding the point guard, I think we're just going to be playing through Yanis a lot more. I watch Draymond Green. He handles the ball a lot and gets a lot of assists, and I wouldn't say he's a point guard. Or LeBron, or someone like that. So I think the whole, what am I going to do now because Yanis is the point guard, is a little out of proportion. I don't know if both of you have seen the actual clip or heard him say this. Personally, and this is only me personally, I don't actually feel like me reading out that quote does any justice to how it was said. I felt like there was a little bit of something. He didn't like the question, and it's easy to understand why that was, but I did feel like there was a little bit of an edge to it. It wasn't just him speaking the facts. I mean, there's definitely something to be read into him saying, anyway, I that... I'll be guarding the point guard because I don't think anyone else is certain that it will be Michael Carter-Williams guarding the point guard. That shows good confidence in himself. It's not a bad thing. But I did feel there was a little bit of an edge to it. Yeah, I feel like this situation, I mean, we talked, I mean, it was probably 20 podcasts ago, but we talked about being you know, open with players and letting players know what's up. If no one sits down Michael Carter-Williams, this could be an ugly situation very fast because, look, I mean, we just talked about how kids said the emphasis is going to be three-point shooting. Where the hell does Michael Carter-Williams fit in a starting lineup if he's not really the point guard? Like, he, I mean, he's not, uh, like, off the ball on offense. That's He's not going to do much of anything. So the one, I don't the one think, thing for him, though, there's no I will way he say. starts just to defend point guards. Yeah, and the one thing, it, it didn't come up on Exit Interview Day, but in the Charles Gardner piece that we talked about not too long ago, that all sorts of other strange comments, it was actually Point Yanis was confirmed for another season, what, like the day after, the day of the article posting. But he did speak about being open to coming off the bench. I think that that is the reality. I think as a... As the second unit leader, maybe he has a role there. That could work very well, potentially. But it's hard to see him as starting point guard now. I don't know. At that same yeah, time, I mean, I just the, team, the team still talk it. about liking his defense. And 
that's something that they're vocal about. We just haven't really seen it translate. Yeah, I don't... It's just, like, his comments to me make it sound like he's going to be the starter, right? Like, that's how it sounds. Like, he said, I'm going to be guarding that point guard, the point guard. Like, I'm going to be on the other guy. I'm going to be on the Westbrook. I'm going to be on the John Wall. And really, I mean, you know, if Giannis is playing the point guard on offense, there's no room for, for MCW in the starting lineup. That's just what it comes down to for me. And I think, you know, in, in the right circumstances, if he had shooters around him, and you let him go basically like he did as a starter in Philly because their team was just so bad. If you let him go with the bench unit, I mean, he's shown what he can do if you really give him the reins. And I don't think that's a bad move to just let him go at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, just his, his quotes are worrying me. It doesn't sound like he's on that page anymore as much if, if he once was. Maybe all the point Giannis talk is starting to get to him a little bit. I don't know. I can't speculate. You know, I'm not Stephen A. Smith going to sit up here and you tell me, Michael Carter. Like I don't, I don't know Michael Carter wins. I don't know anyone in this camp. I just know it sounds like things are there's a there's like a, a disconnect between some parties. Yeah, I mean, we again we talked about this before too. Michael Carter Williams has a very, I I would say, natural reaction to stuff like trade rumors, his starting status on the team. Um, you Even know. if you think of the when he, I, I think he deleted this tweet, but I'm sure both of you have seen it when after the low post with Sam Hinkie just before Hinkie stepped down from a 76ers general manager, Lowe had made a comment about sort the of like he, off the MCW Rose. Yes, exactly. So yeah. it was basically dismissed like that wasn't a bad trade or something to. That was fine, and I, I can't remember exactly what MCW's tweet was, but it was something to the effect of, we'll see. Yeah. He tweeted directly at Zach Lowe, and it was sort of bizarre. It was very strange. But he is more, I suppose, actually, he does show it in the court. He's more emotional, though, than we often give him credit for, and not necessarily a bad thing. The books certainly need that in some ways, uh, but it's... When the guy is emotional like that, he's probably the last guy that you want or need to be in some of the situations he's finding himself in. Yeah, and, and plus, too, you have to think, I mean, this is, <laughs> again, just kind of like player. If you're an NBA player in the mentality, they're going to be confident when, no matter what role they're in. And I think that's certainly evident in the quotes he's had since he's been hurt, even I mean, I think the only time we've seen him kind of, like, be unsure of himself was shortly after he got benched because it was such a shocking move um, at the time. The first time, he, I should say, he got benched. Um, uh, so, and plus, too, I, I mean, he isn't that wrong. Like, there is a point to Giannis is going to handle the ball more, all this stuff. But, like, they have they have repeatedly said it, it hasn't just been Mike Carter-Williams um, that – they would like to have a, a point guard or, like you say, like a small guard to defend other point guards. And he certainly plays a role, whether that role suits him well or not, all that stuff we talked about endlessly may not be. But I don't know. It's Again, I understand where he's coming from, and it's he his 
he's in a weird spot because he is again he's also this is the last year of his contract next season of his rookie contract. So he's kind of a weird spot. He wants to show off his game, try to improve all this, you know, the things that he's failing at right now. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I guess I wasn't too taken back by the comments because I just feel like we've seen him kind of, you know, talk a boost about his own game or not boost. Not boast either, but whatever. <laughs> Somewhere between. <laughs> and uh. I don't know. I think that's where it kind of comes from more so than anything. I want to move on from MCW because I want us to go through a few of these players sort of, I don't want to say quickly. We don't do anything quickly around here, but as, <laughs> as quickly as we can. Um, John Henson. We lose this one earlier. Henson's was one of the more sensational quotes of the whole situation. It was sort of not the type of thing that you expect to come out he was throwing himself and his teammates and maybe everyone at the organization under the bus just a little bit. Um, he was asked about the slow start to the season and how he countered back was, we've got to start better and that comes with coming in in shape. As a team, I don't know if anyone said this, we didn't come in in the best shape in my opinion. That affected us. That's probably one of the biggest things for us, knowing that we're a running team. Training camp's going to be hard, but come ready to play and everything is going to take care of itself. This one was interesting because he was, I'm going to say second or third up for his interview early in the day. So it was one that the reporters who were there were able to gauge reactions to from others as the day went on. And... It's one of those things where there can be no party line on this because Henson just came out and dropped it there, so no one was he really... blew the there. doors open. One percent blew the doors open. There were no doors left. So everyone was sort of reacting on the fly and having to think, do I just be honest to this? Uh, does this apply to me? Should I be saying this? Should I not be saying this? And you got, like, Middleton came and backed it up. Uh, Middleton said for him his reasoning maybe was a little bit different being a contract year he said he had to be very safe make sure he didn't get hurt and that certainly factored in he wasn't really working out until he got his contract signed so he came in a little bit behind uh, Miles Plumley was asked about it and he was insulted how, how, how dare anyone <laughs> insinuate he might, his response was I, I thought I was in the best shape of my life uh, which Let's be fair, the season he had, that might well be true. Well, and you look at it, I mean, he didn't play in the first part that John Henson was talking about. It's not like Miles Plumley was out here looking winded. He didn't get minutes. I, I, to be fair, I don't think any of us spoke about them looking winded to start. And it's strange now that when you hear that, that we didn't, because it was a big thing. Everyone was talking about the book slow start. I didn't see anyone at one stage go, they looked out of shape. I don't think visibly they did, or maybe... Maybe something like we were so wrapped up in how in shape Giannis looked or we were getting so many videos of Jabari and his sort of rigorous recovery routine. That Hashtag muscle watch. Exactly. That's an annual tradition. But maybe you're blindsided by that to some other guys. I don't know. Um, it explains a lot, though, even in terms of injuries becoming a factor. If you don't come into the season in the best possible shape, more likely to get hurt. 
this is a very unusual one though. It's strange to hear it. Uh, I feel like Jabari might have also alluded to. I think see. so. I think he. There, were, there was some. In terms of the the veteran thing, he might have sort of hinted at it. He felt it was a case. Jabari said some other things, which I'll get to in a second about this summer. Um, but team not being in shape—that's a pretty basic requirement. If you want to have a good season, you got to come in in shape. One, as Ty mentioned earlier, massive respect to John Henson for just being John Henson and saying it as it is. But little bit concerning more than a little bit concerning I suppose that they weren't really in the best possible place to compete at the start of year yeah I mean especially because you consider like the expectations at the start of the year where they were going to be you know fighting for a top four playoff seat it wasn't like they came in knowing it was going to be a, a tenth overall was a, a bad lottery end up year like that wasn't how it felt back then I will say there were some some certain angles of some certain Jabari photos where he looked to be a little bit chubby, but I don't, I don't know if that held up. I mean, that might have just been. Some I, I, I honestly, I, when I, I saw him, I didn't think he looked like that. Yeah, I just to cut across because that's something I I sort of want to talk because you see that quite a lot. He's not a guy who ever comes across as out of shape to me. I do think that is. That's his frame. That is his body. He's never going to look like Yanis. He's a Giannis. big guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is not Yanis. He's not a skinny guy. And to be honest, that's a that's a good thing. He we he's a little on the small side, but he is a power forward. So that's not necessarily a problem. Nobody could say at the end of the season that Jabari wasn't in shape, and that's in spite no. of him never really looking like super ripped. That's just not his body type. I don't think that's ever going to factor into. It. But you're right. Well, that gets talked. And about. I mean. If there was anyone who had an excuse to come out of shape, it's Jabari Parker. I mean, after going through the surgery and still rehabbing from that, I mean, it was a while ago, but still, that's a, like pretty much the most serious surgery, at least up there. I mean, I don't want to rank surgeries right now, but it, it's a serious one. So, I mean, this guy's got to relearn how to walk. I mean, if he comes in a little out of shape, I don't think... I mean, all rookies pretty much come in a step behind, and that's why you got guys like Porzingis hitting the rookie wall because no one's ready for this. So, I mean, looking at Jabari, I don't think is the right guy to look at anyway in terms of that, that quote. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's such a weird quote because, like I said... I just, just to come across you, but have you noticed that so far this is basically gone as, I'll read a quote, say, this is really unusual... I'll pass it over. Jordan will go. It's such a weird quote. I mean, bit of a recurring theme here, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of strange, I mean, weird quotes. Quotes. A lot of strange comments. It's kind of weird, though. It makes sense. It's a fitting it's end a... to the season. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember like, thinking about in preseason early, earlier in the year, especially with Giannis is probably the best example, but they did follow a lot, and that sure, certainly kind of, I don't think that speaks to the fitness, but it does kind of speak to where they were at mentally or, you know, being on this aggressive style of defense and stuff like that. Maybe that play, again, that's just kind of like looking for something to like. But the other oh. thing, the other thing with that, with Giannis in particular, so 
The reason Giannis just that didn't factor into it. Giannis had to have his off season much earlier because he was with the Greek national team. So not only was he sort of in shape, he was game ready. Like that's that's something that will take most guys time to get games in and sort of get to full sort of game fitness level. He was there already because he was say a month removed. I'm gonna say from Euro Eurobasket. Not even. I mean, Eurobasket went into. It went into September. He was. It was maybe two weeks before training camp. I thought. It was, yeah, that's why I thought it was too. That's so he was really like he didn't get much of an off season, which that's a concern in a different way, and that's something that maybe came up. They mentioned there'd be discussions over whether he plays for Greece in the Olympics. No matter what the books want, a Greek in the Olympics. I mean, things don't get much more Greek than the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So. I would be shocked if Giannis is not at the Olympics or Greece. And to be honest, it's probably a good learning experience for him. Carry a team against high-quality guys. Um, well, but... I, I think before we go further, we should say that I don't think they have officially qualified for the Olympics yet. Oh, I thought Greece had by getting to the final. Uh, or they were in the semi-final of Eurobasket. Hmm. Let me check that one. Yeah. I, I thought they had qualified. Because they lost to Spain. Spain. And, yeah. So they still had, I mean, he would still play with the Greek national team, but they would, it would be a part of the qualifying, which is, again, no easy task with the, some of the countries that are in there. Yeah, you're right. So they are one of six European teams in the qualifiers. No. Hold on a According no, yeah, you're right. So the fourth to the tenth of July is when the qualifying is gonna happen. So Giannis could be, uh, I suppose, he might skip qualifying, and if they qualify, be at the Olympics. That maybe seems more realistic. It looks like three more teams are gonna get in. It's as no Wikipedia it's, chart. It's no luck. Um, uh, I thought there was more than that, but could be wrong. No, hold yeah. on a minute. They've qualified. They've qualified. Wait, what? Well, you that. I think they... No, they haven't. Never mind. No, here, here are the teams that are qualified. The U.S., Brazil, because they're hosting it, so they automatically do. Australia, because they're champions of the Oceania Championship. Nigeria, were champions of Afrobasket 2015. Venezuela was champions of the 2015 FIBA Americans. Argentina was finalists in that same championship. Uh, Spain was Eurobasket. Lithuania was finalists of Eurobasket. And China won the Asian championship. So they're all in. Shout out, on to, three teams. shout out to Grievous for beating Argentina. That's a big task. It's very impressive. I don't even know if he played. I'm guessing he did. If Venezuela without Grievous Vasquez beat Argentina, I'm very impressed. Um, okay, so to clear that up, just in case I confuse anyone, it would be my fault if you're confused, but Greece do have to qualify. Um, they are amongst teams like France, Serbia, yeah. Canada. Uh, <laughs> not easy. No, not all. easy. Um, uh, Croatia, Turkey. Did not play. He didn't play well. Nope. There are, there are some really good teams still to qualify. 
damn disinformation for not being more straightforward because I don't even know how many teams are left to qualify. Um, it looks like three. That's going to be... That's incredibly tough, so that might be a worry. But anyway. We were talking about Hansen. Right? We've covered a lot on, on that. Let's move on. Jabari. I wrote about this actually earlier today, yesterday, as you listen to this. Um, it was a regular, weird Jabari interview, which we've come to get used to. And the only way I can sort of point out towards that is people keep asking him for interviews at the wrong time. Uh, you rarely hear Jabari talk after a win or when the books are winning. He gets halftime interviews when the team is losing. And then the next day after pretty embarrassing loss, and it really was. And it seemed like he was the, the person who definitely took that hardest. But an embarrassing loss to the Pacers, there he was front of the media, microphones in his face. Wasn't exactly enjoying himself. A lot of good things came out of from Jabari about himself. The way he framed those, though, opens up a whole world of questions. And this is something that hasn't really been discussed amongst Books Twitter, I feel. Um, the magical place that is Books Twitter, they haven't sort of dived into a lot of this. I think I'm writing saying. Yeah, they haven't found this gumdrop, I guess. If we're if it's this magical place. I I'm don't know why I said I'm, I'm surprised uh, that was interesting. That's, that's more about you than anything else, Jordan. But yeah. <laughs> I would have um, thought more people would have caught on to Jabari's interview. I found out how many degrees qualifying thing. Okay. There is three teams, so there's eighteen teams vying for it. And how they're doing it is there's a broken up into three six, six sections possibly. of six. Yeah. No, there's, yeah, six so there's three different tournaments. No, three sections of six. I'm sorry. Okay. So this is how it works. Uh, Greece is in Group A in the Italy, um, I guess. There's, they're all in different places. So this one's in, in Turin in Italy. So Greece plays Mexico. The winner of that plays Iran. And the winner of that plays whoever comes out of... Tunisia, Croatia, and Italy, and whoever comes out of all that gets the spot. You gotta think, Greece and Croatia is gonna be probably who will come out. Italy, Italy's probably Italy isn't Italy good? Eh, they're not really that great. They're not really a basketball country. They didn't do great in Eurobasket. I know Greece beat them pretty comfortably in qualifying for Eurobasket. Um, I yeah. Well, you gotta watch out for Jorge Gutierrez here. Yeah, playoff Jorge Gutierrez. We might. How many former books are in the playoffs this year from from last season's team? Uh, Rod Gutierrez. Two. Zaza Pachulia. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a Zaza just the the basically the the playoff blip in his career was the worst season in book's history. But aside from that, he's had a very good run of playoff games. Well, yeah, playoff Jorge, playoff Zaza. That's book fans will be watching all Hornets and Mavericks games, and they're not going to give you plenty to enjoy, I will say that much. When you're uh, celebrating this country's and being patriotic on July 4th, 
Be Greek patriotic, too, and tune into the Greece-Mexico game, which will be airing July 4th, 2016. To get back to Jabari. Sorry, I, I just okay. found it. I had to share. We needed to clarify, but I was about to really go for the big quotes here. Drop some J-bombs. First of all, let's talk about how Jabari... This was a pretty innocuous question. He was asked about his first NBA full healthy offseason. Um, how was he going to approach it? What was he going to be doing? His reply, I know for myself, I'm going to get better. I'm going to be in the gym 24-7. Not in the beginning, but down the line. I'm going to let my body recuperate and let my joints heal. But I know that I have a plan of what I want to do. And if I happen to surpass some people on my team and they don't have that same mentality, so be it. But I know individually where I want to be. <laughs> That's a 10 out of 10 quote. I love that quote. Push people. That's how you be a leader, to be honest. It's such a knockout quote. I, I honestly, I, I'll admit I have tried to get more attention to this quote just because I feel like there's interesting discussion to be had here, and I love the role Jabari's taking. But... It's like I, KG for kids. I don't know how that gets buried. I don't know how people are... If I happen to surpass some people on my team... What? <laughs> what? No one talks like that. And not even... Jabari no, doesn't talk like that. Because Jabari a, was also asked... Kanye phrase. But he was also asked... Uh, would he work out with, like... Another... Uh, is he going to work out with LeBron? Is he going to work out with someone? And he, like, deadpan. I look back, he was like... No, I'm not about all that. I'll work out with my team for my whole career, and that's it. I'm not working with anyone who isn't my team. Oh, and, man. And he's he's going for Kanye. In the same interview to go, if I happen to surpass some people on my team, and they don't have that same mentality. Like, I, let's be clear. I don't have any problem with Jabari saying this. I don't hold Jabari at any lesser level for it, but it just opens up so many more questions. Definitely coming after a Pacers game where effort was terrible. It's got to play into it. Um, it was still on his he mind. Might as well, he might as well just at OJ Mayo. You have disrupted my creative process. Goodbye. He's going full Kanye. I love it. See, I don't think it was OJ. Um, I don't I mean, know. It's... OJ's three-point per percentage was disrupting everyone. Yeah. Jabari was talking definitely with recency in mind. Uh, so That's true. That's the first example that came to mind. It's it's funny, though. This, this quote, when you hear this, and it comes straight from his mouth, the Zach Lowe, Kevin Arnovitz report from earlier in the year that he'd been talking about Yanis being too selfish the year before, that now sounds completely real. It sounds like he could have said something like that, not with bad intentions, but sort of as in, well, he needs to just, you know what I mean? It sort of rings a little bit truer when you hear Jabari say things like this. He doesn't pull punches. He's not afraid to really give his thoughts on where things are. Do we weigh this up as a bigger positive that he's sort of drawing a line in the sand and telling his teammates, this is where you need to get past? Or is it concerning that 21-year-old Jabari Parker is having to call out teammates, basically, and or seems to have a genuine concern over people on his team not 
matching or surpassing what he's going to do this summer. I mean, it's it's a little concerning. He has to do it, but you think about it. I mean, I've talked about this. I think you said earlier. I mean, Jabari's basketball pedigree is phenomenal. Like, this is not a player who's okay with losing. And you wrote this today, and it's true. It'll be yesterday when this airs. But I mean, if he if 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 this sparks a a, a basketball talent arms race between him and Giannis, I'm all for it. Let's let's see all like they just keep developing like the Cold War with forwards. I, I'm I love it. I mean, really, you should push your teammates. I mean, that's I what I honestly I don't I don't feel like this about Giannis though. Whoever I, it's about, I don't care. I mean, do you I, think Giannis think, isn't going to read this and work harder after reading yeah, this? I think I don't, he is. I, th- I don't think this is about Giannis. I wasn't. I I'm didn't not mean. Saying it is just, about no. Giannis. Just if it came, if it came across like that when I said I could see the comments, the selfish comment. I didn't mean that to sound like a link. If it did, I personally don't think this is anything to do with Giannis. I think Giannis would be one of the guys who his work ethic might be something that Jabari is in line with. It's definitely improved for Giannis. Uh, but yeah, I know what you're saying. If they're gonna. If there's healthy competition across the positions and they're going to drive each other on, well, that can only be a good thing too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can see how someone would take it concerning, you know, kind of... Usually you kind of hear that from like a veteran or a guy that's... This is a Jared Dudley quote. Like, this is this is the sort of thing you expect to hear Dudley say on... Yeah. Always talk about the books like it is. It's that's what makes it weird. Yeah, and I don't know. I I mean I'm I feel uh, kind of I guess reassured because uh, the Bucks have a lot of in their history in very recent history they have a let's just say they haven't had totally committed players uh, to basketball. Um, you can take that for what that is, <laughs> in many ways, because they. There's have one guy like, everyone's gonna think of from that, and he is actually not the guy that should come to mind because there's like twenty or thirty guys who never even made it to that level because they were so not committed to basketball. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's very <laughs> again, they're very loaded comments, but. I think it just shows that they don't want to go through the season again. You know, as disappointing as the 15 win season it was, as it was, I mean, because that was just an utter failure on <laughs> from wired like from the beginning of the season to the end. I'm sure this season had a probably a bigger toll on the players because you knew you could be be in the playoffs. You had the talent, all this stuff, but just I don't I don't know. I, I, guess, I, I, I guess for Jabari though, even. Because he wasn't around for 15 wins. He was a product of it. <laughs> yeah, but last year he might have been playing by the end of it. But I'm sure to him, like, I mean, we did see him around occasionally. He was still a part of that team. So to him in his head, exactly. he was part of a playoff team. And for someone who has been involved with winning or really competitive teams the whole way up throughout the system, that was obviously important for him. That was, that was like hitting the lottery because as a rookie, it's probably not what you expect. But he comes in and all of a sudden... Without him, they managed to be a playoff team, and probably more than anyone, he had expectations then of how he could elevate them to new levels this year. And that's oh, what, yeah, definitely. That's he, what I must have been. Even, I remember even when they uh, when uh, NBA TV did their training camp, 
um, special and uh, they interviewed him and this is obviously before he became back but you started to see him go through activities and practices and stuff like that and he was saying we want to try to be the best team in the, in the East and that sounds <laughs> that sounds kind of crazy now it, well kind of it sounds definitely crazy now um, but he it, I mean he expects a lot and he wants to win I, I mean you can't can't disagree, disagree with that kind of mentality, I guess, you know, so. The way I, I feel on it is, sorry, Ty, but the way I feel on it is I think it is, it's really positive, and on the long term it's positive, but I do think there is a negative in there because there has to be a source of that feeling for him. So there is a lot of what he said, and I'll get to another one in a minute, which even ties into some of what we spoke about there in regards to him, but he was being sort of pushed to this point. That's how it felt like to him, and that, that is a negative, and that's what the books need to sort out, because obviously it's the dream, but you want to get as close to 15 guys with this attitude as you can. And this is what I wrote about today. It's like, how can you not believe that this guy isn't going to be a winner? It's like, more than Yanis, and Yanis is incredibly motivated, and that's become more apparent in his quotes recently never before but Jabari is the guy I still something about him it's like I I don't doubt Jabari Parker on defense he is horrible on defense right now does that mean he won't become a good defender most people I'd say yes with this guy with the way his his attitude his mentality is he's gonna put in the hours he's gonna put in the hours times four times five He's going to do literally everything he can to the point where his awareness reaches where it needs to be. He knows what he needs to do. I think that applies across his game, and that's that's really exciting. And it's important because we're all excited about Jabari, but it does get lost a little in terms of Yanis is out of the box. He is the, the Greek freak. He's something a little bit wild, a little bit different, and Jabari fits more of a more of a typical mold of what a really good player, potentially great player, can be. But his attitude is on an entirely different level, and an almost rare level, it seems. It's not normal to hate losing so much, but for it to matter that much to him says a lot about the team's future. Without naming names, there's been a lot of games this year where last 30 seconds, camera cuts to the bench. They could be down by 10, they could be down by 30, and you see guys laughing and joking. And this isn't just the books. You see this with lots of teams. Jabari is not that guy. If Jabari is behind, he is not smiling. He's not joking. And that's a nice tone to set amongst the roster. Where that comes into one of the other things he said, which is really interesting, and this was brave again. I mean, this isn't calling out teammates. This is sort of a go at Hamilton, the kid maybe. Uh, he said this year our team pretty much didn't have an identity. We didn't have a leader to look up to. Last year, we had guys who were committed, but I think this time going around, I'll get the chance to help us on defense. And that's how he was looking at it was, he can sort of help to shape where the team's going in the future. But to say things like, we didn't have a leader to look up to, that sort of, on a lot of levels, that says things. Um as Jason Kidd, that wouldn't be a quote you'd like to hear because it doesn't reflect well on him either, really. 
obviously he's talking about on the court, but it's just not the sort of thing you want to hear come out of his mouth. At the same time, it's honest. We've been saying that the team didn't have an identity. He's there, he's calling it out, and he's speaking like the leader. I'll just, I'll just talk about like wanting to fight when you're down and everything. I'm just, it's reminding me of this Pistons Cavs game. And just like the way Stan Van Gundy coaches a team. Like, if you're on an SVG team, you're not doing much laughing if you're down. Like, that guy, I mean, they're playing the Cavaliers, who, as always, every LeBron James team, they're preordained to come out of the East. And, I mean, for good reason, they probably will. Stan Van Gundy coached and acted, and they had him mic'd up, which was so glorious. Like, there's no reason they shouldn't win this game. And I think that's how you should look at it. I think if you walk in and say, like, oh, we don't match up, then you won't match up. But if you walk in, like, you know, build an effing wall, and that wasn't that game. That's just the best. But if you come in, like, you know, we got to, you know, we got to just beat them up. We got to go beat them. That's how you almost take a game from the Cavs, you know, game one in Cleveland, the fully healthy Cavs. That's how you come within five points or whatever of doing that, is having that attitude. I mean, the Pistons, they have some talent, but they have no business competing with LeBron James, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, all those guys. They did anyway, though. I think the Bucks need that attitude of just going to fight because at this point, maybe they will down the line, but like they don't have the talent to just outclass people like Cleveland does. Uh, so they need to have that that just fight in them, or, or it's. I think it'll just everything will be better if they have that attitude as opposed to just you know laughing on the bench or whatever it is. And the the thing for me with all of that is, as I said I don't feel any of the Jabari stuff was directed towards Giannis, and the same I don't think it's about Chris because they all sort of the young core and this is what's most refreshing they seem to be on the same page and. To an extent, it almost to me felt like maybe Jabari and Middleton might have discussed something of this nature and come out with, I don't know, a similar sort of viewpoint for it. A quote from Middleton was, this year I felt like I held my tongue too many times. It's something that I've talked to coaches, teammates and staff about. It's just about being more vocal and letting my voice be heard a lot more. Once again, to say he's held his tongue, we know he's not the sort of loudest guy in the room, he's not going to push himself right to the front of conversations. But that's a, it's another big statement. It's like, okay, he has been backing off, he's been letting things slide, and he's not going to do it anymore. And if we've got this whole sort of evolution where next year guys like that, whether it's Middleton and it's Jabari, and hopefully it's Giannis, and they all sort of step up together and are for want of a better word, it's united under the same sort of desire to win or the desire not to lose might be even more important. The results for the books can just be so much better than anything you'd otherwise imagine. And that's where this group, this roster that we hope will take form when other pieces come into place, has an incredible amount of talent. If you want it to be more than just a really good team, though, it's the attitude that comes into it. And the signs are there that the key players for the books have what it takes to push the team to the next level. Yeah. Y- yes. <laughs> I agree. Insight is always. <laughs> 
I couldn't say anything that you couldn't that you did already said. I agree with everything. This is what you all come to listen to, people. Um, we're gonna move on from exit interviews. We did a lot there. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that happens once a year. You don't get canned answers, and that's why it's really important. It's something I know. Jordan was really looking forward to for a long time. There was definitely conversations we've had in the podcast, but outside of it, where Jordan would finish it with sort of maybe with hindsight very ominously saying, oh, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of exit interviews. And he was right. It definitely was interesting. I love exit interviews. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with this. There's other good stuff too. We've painted a very bleak picture. But I tweeted this on the day. We learned a lot about John Henson getting a nice couch for himself. Um, he now feels comfortable enough as an NBA player to get a nice couch. Um, Rashad Vaughn talking about hitting the rookie wall is one of the funniest things you could possibly see. It's pretty special. It's lots of fun details. You get Tyler Ennis talking about Jason Kidd and Steve Nash coaching him in different places. Lots of fun stuff there too. Um, just some important details to talk about too and that we have done moving on from that the one other big piece of books news this week we had the coin toss which isn't a coin toss to decide where the books will pick or not even to decide where to pick but to decide where if the lottery doesn't come and disrupt the odds where they'll pick on draft night in a three way tie with the Nuggets and the Kings. The Bucks were the biggest losers. They came out last of the. I, I want to call it a drum. I was. I wrote a piece on this, and I was trying to think of a better word to describe the vessel that the ping pong balls emerged from. But drum was the best I could do. Anyway, the Bucks were the last thing to come out of that, so they have the tenth overall pick if they aren't jumped or if they don't move up themselves in the lottery. Interesting things about this is, first of all, say for example the Philly game we talked about last week. Reality is the Philly game not only would have made sure they picked no worse than eight, they would have been in the tiebreaker with the Knicks. They may have even had the sixth pick. Right, saying that? 10, 9, 8. Yeah. Is that right? No. No, I'm not right there. They would have been a tiebreaker for the seventh pick if they had have just not beaten the Sixers. Jordan Tresky had his volume muted when I was saying that, by the way, just to update you. And there was there was some ranting going on, so I don't know if it was. Bill. Come on. The, uh, I won't touch it. Come on, Jordan. It's, I have a, I have a fun fact. fact for you. I'm moving on for it. It doesn't matter, but I'm just saying it's it's funny, like, a lot of weird little games over the season where they've eked out an ugly win, which is whatever. Yeah, they got a... The Sixers one was the only one that stands out to me because there was no benefit to beating them. I still maintain that. They don't learn anything about themselves by beating the Sixers by one in overtime. It's like, you've embarrassed yourselves anyway. Why not go to whole hog? And yeah, We'll move on from that. That's not the point here. The point. <laughs> Wait, I, I have a fun fact. 
Since the Bucks last won the first overall pick in 2005, a team uh, with in the third or worst record, so the top three most likely to get the first pick, have only gotten it four times out of the last 11 drafts. The Timberwolves last year were the only team since the Bucks won, and they were the sixth worst in 2005. The Timberwolves last year are the only teams to get first overall pick and have the worst record. So just a fun fact, anything can happen and probably will happen on lottery night. I unfortunately have some stats to counter that with for sort of to rain on the books parade a little bit. Oh, I'm not saying Bucks. It's mostly the fifth or sixth worst team, it looks like, in fourth. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. There is there are real jumps, that is a thing. Um it just isn't going to come down to where the books are in all likelihood. The tenth worst team, which is what the books are now, now that the the tiebreaker has taken effect, has never won the draft lottery. Nope. The eleventh worst team has only won it once. One time. Uh, that was when the Magic. It wasn't when they got Shaq. It was when they drafted Chris Webber. Yeah, it was the very next year. Shaq was yeah, next coincidentally year. the very next year. No, Shaq was the year before. Okay, well then I've got... That's a run of the incredible luck. It yeah, was there's... Shaq and then they got Weber, which is ridiculous. Which the Jordan said, yeah, they traded for Penny, but that, that run of luck is incredible. To have the option to be able to do that is pretty special, so... So, so what you're saying from that stat is it's time to make history. Bucks. I, I, hashtag, hashtag Bucks make history. The end of the article where I talked about this, the final sentence was, are the Bucks about to make history with a lottery win? I was just you trying want to a real fun optimistic. fact? The, I'll give you, the. this is not probably that fun unless you're as excited by coincidental details as I am. But... I, oh, you have a fun fact? He wasn't even listening. The books have had the 10th Oh, they could make pick. history. He's interrupting me now. I can't believe it. He's... The books have had the 10th overall pick on three occasions. Once, they drafted Brandon Jennings. On the other two occasions, the player they drafted was traded to the Sacramento Kings, and the Denver Nuggets. The two teams they found themselves in the tiebreaker for. Was the one of the Kings the Jimmer trade? Yep. That's right. That's right. And Danny Fortson was who was traded to the Nuggets. Danny Fortson? That was a good trade, I yep. guess. That must have taken a fortnight. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, are you ready for my fun fact? Jordan probably ruined it with that, but okay. Uh, yeah. There are only two teams. There are only two teams to ever win the lottery in back-to-back years: the Magic, who got Shaq and Chris Webber, and, and then the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who got Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins. And Wiggins might be good, but that's just hilarious that one of the two teams got Shaq and Webber, and the other one, one of the two players, is Anthony Bennett. Didn't wasn't it two years before Bennett though? They got Irving as well. So wasn't they have three for Tristan? But that's three first overalls in four years. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, well, it, it was the Clippers won and it conveyed to the Cavs. And it's amazing. They, they, had three, they had three number ones in four years, and it still took LeBron to come back and then be able to sort of entice some friends for them to become real contenders. Another Cavaliers first overall pick. They've had four since 2003, which is by far the most out of any team, in case you were wondering. Hashtag Dan Dilbert. Oh, God. I I believe they're the only team to have more than two in that span, or more than one. Yeah, they are. I feel like we've got to move on from this sort of facts about the lottery. Because I like, I like Jordan, facts. Jordan is sitting back, and he just made a Gan Dilbert uh, <laughs> joke that you, I'm impressed with how you bypassed it, but we can't leave opportunity for any more. So let's talk about this potential 10th overall pick. Let's assume nothing changes in lottery night for the books. I mean, when are we that lucky? Um, long time ago. Kareem, space is the answer to when are we that lucky? The answer is Kareem. <laughs> Since then, it hasn't happened so much. Uh, Jordan has praised me for this recently. I've started to get a grasp of what it's what being a books. Abject failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is Jordan takes real joy from the fact that I understand this now and the books have broken me a little bit. Um, yes. But let's talk about what that tenth overall pick could really mean. Now that we know, now that we're not talking about potentially six, seven, eight, nine, who are good options, realistic options for the books to take? Should they be looking to trade this pick? What do you feel is the best route to explore? I mean, really, I think what you should do is make a list of all the guys you think are worth it, which in this draft I probably don't think it's the 10 guys. And you say, if all of them are gone, we're going to see if we can trade down. Because really, I don't think there's... Like, if, if the certain draft order goes in the top, like, five or whatever, like, Buddy doesn't drop that, that low. Adam doesn't like either of them, but Jamal Murray or Chris Dunjo don't drop that low. Who I mean, it's possible either of them get there. I don't, I don't think they uh, will, but it's possible. Yeah, I, th I think they could be three and four now, though. I th I think they could too, but I mean, we've seen guys drop before. It happens. If if none of those guys drop, and you're looking at Henry Ellenson or Scalabissier, I mean, I like Scal, and I've said that before. I don't think I'd take Scal at ten overall, though. I mean, we all like uh, Luau too, but he's projected twelve. I mean. You trade down around 17, you're looking at Wade Baldwin, Denzel Valentine, Furkan Korkmaz, Sabanis, Tyler Ulis at 20, Torin Prince at 22, I wrote about today, Diamond Stone at 23. Like, do I like Scal that much more than some of those guys? No, I like some of those guys better than Scal, to be honest. So if you can trade down and pick up a future pick or another asset and still get one of those guys in the second group, I think you really win the draft. You know, if you end up with Henry Ellenson at 10, and that's just the end of it, I, I don't know if you won the draft. I mean, we'll see. The, the book's not written on Ellenson yet, obviously. He hasn't played a minute. But to me, I just don't buy that he's going to be a very good NBA player. So I just don't know. There's so much indecisiveness around where the Bucks are picking. Unless someone falls to them that they really like, I'd like to see them at least look into seeing what they could get to move down. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Again, I, I feel like I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but I feel like there is just, I, 
I don't know. There is just so much uncertainty with what they want from the draft in particular. It's clear that they want veterans and all that stuff in free agency, but what do you want from a guy next to your core three? I don't. I I just don't know what that is yet. And maybe Monroe. Whatever happens with Monroe this summer, most likely I think he stays put. But there will be rumors, of course. Um, but what they want from Monroe, what all that stuff does that intru- like? To cut in on that, just because while we're on that sort of train of thought, I do think if if he gets traded, and I'm leaning towards he won't, draft night is the night that will happen. It's your best chance if you really want to trade a guy. I think I feel in the summer draft night is the night where you probably have the most flexibility to get that deal done to maybe drag in other teams into the mix and create packages that are as as appealing as possible for all parties involved. Would you agree with that? Would you think if it's going to happen, that could be the night? I, I, think, I would say could be more than will be. I think it could happen outside of there, but it is definitely a good chance. Sorry, Jordan. Um, can you... Uh, I'm trying to think of, like... I mean, I agree with you, but I just don't... I don't really remember, like, a big player being... Boston? Of, uh, yeah, like... What you Boston, mean? Is I could see because they have... What you mean? A big player being traded on draft night was it? Or... Yeah, like Drew Holiday was an all star oh. when he was traded to to the Pelicans and then the Netherlands Noel do. Grievous Vasquez isn't a star, but I feel I feel like there is sort of parallels with the Drew Holiday situation, as in the books not quite as high as the pick that Noel was taken with, but a good pick still, and you know what I mean. There's I, you can catch the right team and there'd be scope for a deal to be done and who knows what way the books would decide to leverage their two second rounders as well if they don't want to use them mm-hmm. Monroe and a second rounder or two second rounders and then you're you're looking at what way things go I, I just feel like that's when they'll have their the maximum amount of opportunities to make a deal work that's where they won't just yeah. be going we've got only Monroe's salary that's when teams have everything open to them it's like a week later Guy teams who he might fit with may not want a center because they might have drafted a top 10 center. It's like uh, if you get them on that night, you can sell them Monroe as your center. Forget about Jacob Poodle or whoever it is, and that's the direction it goes. That's before anyone's free agency plans are in place, before the draft is set. To me, that feels like the most logical time. And If that night passes and Monroe's a book, I'd be shocked if he's not a book before... Well, I'd be shocked if he's not a book before his contract expires because the trade deadline will get very difficult to move now. Yeah. Um, with that said, Ted is such a weird position. Weird. I keep using the word. Ted is such a... It's not unfortunate, but it definitely... You know, you're looking at the bottom end of the lottery... There might be guys that I mean again draft day is crazy. There are guys that have fallen. You can um, get a lot of good guys at ten. That's oh yeah, I don't. It is. It's you've got a you're in the spot where it's sort of like it can be worth your while to take the reach because you could find that really good guy. If well, like, exactly, but I, again, like if they're if you're really wanting to have a successful year next year and bounce back year all that stuff 
do you want to make a reach or are you going to trade your pick down, try to get a veteran guy in place and maybe take a guy that it may be a reach, but he's going to be a nice role player over time. I don't know. It's it's just I feel like this again. This draft is I I I feel like it's getting a bad rap for many reasons. I feel like this it's not going to be this you know <laughs> lottery filled uh, with stars like Carl Anthony Towns, Porzingis, or even a guy like D'Angelo Russell who had you know fine rookie season. I don't think it's going to be anything near that, but I think over time it's going to be. I think a lot of guys fit with where the NBA is going, but it just may take a little longer than what we're seeing from last year's class. Um, but how, again, I, just, I don't know. What they expect from this year's draft is, I just can't, I don't know what to really what to really expect from them because of given the season where we are at and what we know we need this offseason from free agency, more so. I just had a couple more draft day trades I just checked on. Um, the Kobe trade was one. Uh, they, the Lakers well, traded Bonnie oh, yeah, for the rights to Kobe. Um, the Kawhi Leonard trade, the Spurs Hill, gave yeah. up George Hill. Fine. And there was one with the Hawks where the Hawks gave up Powell Gasol's draft rights for, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Abdur Abdur Rahif. Uh, no, Abdur Rahif. No, you've got you've got many Sharif Abdur Rahif. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I had it mixed up. They traded uh, for him in exchange for Gasol's draft rights to Memphis. So there there have been some pretty blockbuster ones. Uh, hopefully the Bucks don't give up their pick for some veteran guy and end up being on one of these lists in a few years. I see. The thing for me is. There's no one at 10 that I like enough that I also feel, for me, and this is just for me, but that I feel fits what the books should be looking for. I really like Luau. I don't think he's the starter they need. So if they're looking to get a starter out of the draft, he's not the option. There's just not someone there that's jumping out to me at 10 that without someone dropping, and even, I don't know, I, I am just more interested in the middle of this draft I'm all in on trade down. I mean, the Nuggets, we've talked about this in the past, but with it all finalized, the Nuggets have 15 and 19. The Celtics, who have more picks than they could know what to do with, so why not make a deal with some of them? They have 16 and 23. That's one for me where I feel like they don't need two mid-first-round draft picks. But if you go to them, top 10 guy to add into the mix... 16 and 23 for 10, I think, is a win for both teams. I don't yeah. know. I think Bucks fans might hate that at the night. The instant reaction might be good. But 16 and 23 for 10, I think, benefits both teams in the short term and the long term. Their, their picks this season are ridiculous. Their full list. They literally have to make a trade. They have eight selections in the draft. But so I mean, three in the if first round, three in If they if they made a deal like that, they'd still have three and ten. And it's like, what more can you ask for to be a good a playoff team? Unfortunately, they're going to get knocked out very comfortably in the first round of the playoffs. But a playoff yeah. team, they could they'd be then looking at 
the three and the ten seed, or the three and the ten pick in the draft. That's like that's that's gold. That's what you can have, Boston. If you just send sixteen and twenty three are away, we can we can make a deal. Huh? I I know there's some bad memories here, but you know who should call Boston? Brooklyn. Brooklyn should call Boston and go, hey, you have 31, 35, 45, 53, and 58. You don't need all those. We'll give you, I don't know, cash, cash some considerations. player. Cash considerations will get second round picks. Even cash. Cash will get second like, round picks. Seriously, Brooklyn, I mean, I trust Sean Marks. I think he has a good eye. He grew, he grew with the Spurs. You know, get some young talent, even if they're not, you know, stars, and they probably won't be. Like, go get some young talent from Boston, because they literally cannot use all these picks. We'll that trade, will, we'll that trade will, that Kenny will, Atkinson. That will, uh, I, just, I didn't know that this is really hard for you to talk about, because Kenny Atkinson is... I, I'm, I'm just tired of teams now pilfering Hawks, assistant coaches. This is not... Quinn Snyder this is how Spurs fans feel about you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, but it's not the same, because I'm not a Spurs fan. <laughs> I... <laughs> I've been enjoying, I was really enjoying Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder is a lot of fun to have as, as an assistant coach. Everyone knows about Quinn Snyder's face, just in general. Let's separate coaching from it. Quinn Snyder's face is just, it's like a work of performance art. Then you bring his coaching into the mix, which he's proven to be very, very good. Kenny Atkinson, though, is incredible in terms of personal personnel development. And that's where player development guys, strong background like that, they will get picks. They'll figure out whatever they have to. They may make some big moves with players who, I don't know, guys, the only, the only real assets are Brooke Lopez and Tad Young. But I wouldn't be surprised. I don't if, know about that, though. Big assets. I feel like they could, they could swing a, a pick somewhere, maybe multiple second rounders, but I feel like they could get something nice for uh, Bogdanovich. I was thinking the Bucks should try to convince them, like, hey, we got two picks in the top third of the second round. You can have both of these right now if we get Bowen Bogdanovich. I'd love that. Yeah, I That's like a that. Player. I like that too, but I I have penciled in people for a second round pick, so I need at least one. Um, I like the second round, but those got I, no, I really, I, know, like they I, got, I really I mean, like Bogdanovich. Player. But that, but that's part of that's it's sensible because that's just like what what have we set ourselves out to do this summer? We need to get some experience, which he's not vastly experienced, but he's more experienced than most of what's on the books roster. And he's a proven shooter, proven capable player. It's like, yeah, that would be one step checked off. And it's it's a little bit different, but this is something that in soccer tends to work out very well. Is the teams who tend to win the summer transfer market would be the ones who get their business done early. And I feel like that applies to the NBA as well. That, that really applied to the books, in a sense, last year, getting Middleton tied up, getting the Monroe deal done. They were probably too inactive then from that point on, and that left them with nothing to really do to fill out the roster. But... That was also it, the culmination of their summer because uh, they already traded Ursan, yeah. they traded for Grievous. I mean, they're... Everything they was sort of done early. But I, I, yeah. that didn't necessarily go perfectly to plan last year but I do feel like if they could enter free agency saying okay we've already made two big improvements these are two two marked improvements we're better in these two spots that's the place to be 
because they have a lot of things to sort of plug in and fill. You don't want to hit day one of free agency and be chasing five guys. I don't know. That's that's me, and I just think if they could, I it seems set up to me. There's there's no real logic in. There's no obvious draft choices for them to make. So if you're gonna explore some options, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel about the bottom half of this draft. I really like the bottom half. Like people say, it's a weak draft, probably because of unfortunately this range the Bucks are in right now. I would do anything to trade where they picked in the last two drafts. Like 10 in last year's draft, you can walk away with Miles Turner. 17 in this draft, you walk away with a guy like Denzel Valentine, Wade Baldwin, somewhere in that range. Look at it, look at mean, it very literally by what Draft Express have, because I think this is this is a very simple way of saying, because it's not, it's very easy for us to, and we have done this, to sort of handpick our guys and go, well, that guy and that guy together, I'm the most guilty of this. I'm like, they could get those two guys together, and that's perfect. That's like the most Bill Simmons thing I ever have thought of. But <laughs> it's what I'm of with this class. But let's look, Draft Express. So you make a deal with the Celtics, 16 and 23. They have Wade Baldwin at 16, who conveniently is one of those guys that I keep doing that with. And at 23, they've got Diamond Stone. You get point guard, center. That's that's a win. I, I think both of those guys combined is better than what they, they're going to get out of 10 in terms of bigger picture. For I think unquestionably. It's like... I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I'd rather take the shot on Diamond Stone than take the shot on Scal, I think. I have no interest in Scal. I really... I, I, I don't really see how he works as a center. He feels like a poor man's Henson to me. It's like there's a muddle yeah. over position and there shouldn't be, but then I just don't think he'll end up with a lot of stuff that Henson has going for him. So I'm not I'm not interested. I'm, I'm very worried about he he crumbled hard in facing any sort of competition. I mean, his only really good game was against Stony Brook. Uh, maybe Jordan knows. I, I have no. I could not tell you where Stony Brook is on a map. I it's don't know what York. Stony Brook's mascot is. I think it's. In it New doesn't York. matter to me. They're they're barely a real team. I mean, of course, I would hope he has a big game against Stony Brook. Like, imagine what Buddy Heald would do against Stony Brook. Like in the next round, he crumbled and they they got they got demolished. So that that worries me because you know how I feel about how guys look in competition and if you give someone a chance, like. I just don't know. It worries me that he crumbled that hard. I'm not sure if he's ready for the NBA if he couldn't even hold up to NCAA competition. Is there a chance, and we're not talking about because it it's not what we want, but is there a chance the books look to move up? I mean, I think they'd have to get called. I think if they got called, maybe. Are you sure, though? Could they, could they not ring New Orleans and be... Okay, we've got 10 here, and we've got Greg Monroe. What sort of package do you want to put together for six? I know that's low, well, considering the there's certain objections, seemingly, to Pelicans' book deals that have been floated out in the past. But if they if they wanted to move Monroe, is there a chance they make the phone calls and say, okay, well, you're not going to move down that far, and you'll get Greg Monroe. Do you want to have that conversation? No, oh, man. About that is six. It matters if uh, John Hammond picks up the phone in New Orleans, so I, I, I don't know. 
Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> six is in that range where it, they, the sixth team has won the lottery a few times in the last ten or eleven years. So I mean, I mean, it's a cop out, but you're really gonna have to wait. I mean, they're obviously oh, yeah, not gonna trade. Yeah, no, but you're talking about on draft, like. Yeah. So they'd know if they had if it if they came in at six. I mean, I think they'd probably. It depend, I don't know. I don't know who runs that show. I don't know if they have a new GM by then. I well, don't know Del if Joe Dumars is making the shots. Dell Demps is not yet. So no, I know, but it, the stranger things happen. He could still be the GM there. I mean, there's no guarantee until it's actually official. That's a bull. I mean, they if they have no reason to still have Dell Demps as GM if they want to get rid of him. If you're a team preparing for the draft, you're you're not in the playoffs. You clean house as quickly as possible if you're going to do it because you've got work to do. So that's what a lot of even the book stuff. The longer it goes on, the things stay the same. Less likely it is for the moves to happen. They're going to be famous last words. You wait to see. The night before the draft, the books will blow up. Um, but. I don't know. I don't, as I said, I don't think it's something they will do. I would worry, though, maybe they do that sort of thing and not because they were really sold on someone at six or wherever the position was, but just as much, well, that seems like a means where we could move on from that other guy we want to move on from. I just hope they don't end up with Jalen Brown, man. That's who's projected to go six at Tankathon right now, and I'm not a Jalen Brown believer. Yeah, I don't see why they'd draft Jalen Brown. I don't. I don't think there's anything there for the book, so I don't. I think that's unlikely. Let's go round the houses. Jordan, what would you do with the pick? Is there a player you would take at ten? Would you look to maneuver down? Would you look to move up? What would Jordan Tresky do? We'll we'll print up those bumper stickers soon. What would Jordan Tresky do? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, um, I I think I would move down. I just think I think there are a lot of players that potentially will be available that suit the Bucks fine. Uh, Demetrius Jackson, I know I've written a draft profile on him, so I'm a little biased, but I still think he could be a good fit with them. Um, but there is getting two for one, it's not that bad of a deal. and I don't know. I think... There's also a financial component. I, I have to keep saying that because of where the Bucks are heading and this whole – another big question this summer is what's going to happen with Giannis too, extension-wise. Um, I feel like that that's going to be a big thing once free agency opens. Um, I don't know. I just – I feel like there it's more advantageous for the Bucks to trade down, get two guys that fit – needs because of where the team is at. And like Adam said, there's the middle of the draft, it, there's a lot of good players there that will be there, no matter what. Even the craziest scenario happening with, you know, 
people getting picked earlier than expected or something like that. I, I still think this class, there's something that the Bucks could find in the you know late teens, early 20s range. So I I would personally trade down. Um, it gets a lot of harder to expect who would be there, but I, I, I think it would be in the Bucks' best favor to try to trade the pick, maybe get a veteran, maybe not a greatest Vasquez deal, <laughs> hopefully, but uh, someone that could contribute right away and kind of lead, help set an example for the team. And then if you want to try to look for projects, uh, trade down them. Just one other to jump in. One other option. The Sixers have picks 24 and 26. And with the change in organization there, I don't know, the books, 24 and 26 is tougher. You might want something else, something well, more they, they have They have quite a bit of things. Yeah, but how about, you might... How about Nerland's Noel? Yeah, you're not getting Nerland's Noel. But... 24-26 and some sort of small piece, whether it's a future pick or whatever, that's another option for 10. If you just weren't sold, you're going to get the right thing now. The Sixers, in their more win-soon mode, I think they'd prefer to have a 10th overall pick than take two more guys at 24-26. and 26. Another team, um, like it's just that's important just because there are multiple candidates to trade down. I was, I was just going to talk about this. Jordan talked about you can trade down and get a player and a pick. This is a rare draft. There's four teams below Milwaukee with two picks uh, after 10. We already talked about Adam just touched on Philly. Uh, they have two very low picks. We already talked about Boston. We already talked about Denver. But Phoenix has 13 and 28, and the 13 could change. The 28 almost certainly won't. Well, it can't. Um, that's an interesting package. 13 and 28 for 10. I don't know if... I mean, Phoenix maybe does that. I mean, 28's not a great pick. I think you'd have to go 10 and the two second rounders for 13 and 28. I don't know if you got to give up both. Does Phoenix uh, want two more projects? I think at the end of the day, even if they don't want it, it holds first-round value. So, I'd, I mean, I don't know if that's a bad deal. If the Bucks want a 28 is nearly a second rounder and it's... Once again, we're talking about you're two players cal salary cap-wise. They don't necessarily want to take three guys on anyway that are sort of at that stage of their career. So maybe 13 and 28 for 10. What are we at? 30, 36 and 39, I want to say. Something like that. I yeah, want to say 30, a lot of it, the, the thing that really it depends on all these uh, hypothetical trades is, is someone available at 10 who these teams want? And if the answer is yes, they'll give up more. I mean, look what the Celtics almost traded for the Kaminsky pick to get Justice Winslow. If there's, yeah, I don't know if Justice Winslow falls to 10, or the, the, obviously not the same guy, but a player of that caliber falls, it's possible, as we saw, you know, just one year ago. But if there's a player that one of these teams below the Bucks, one of the ones with two picks, or just one of the ones with one pick and other assets that they really like, there's nothing stopping these teams from making an offer that works really well for Milwaukee, especially if they're not really interested in any of it. I think it's in the, the book's interest to make it very, very clear that they're open to shopping the pick. Because I, yeah. don't, I don't see the losing scenarios. It's like they don't have to 
go and make a stupid decision. But there's so many potential wins where if a team calls them up and gives them whatever pick, it doesn't have to be two picks if a team like... If Atlanta wants 10, or if Indiana wants 10, or Charlotte wants 10, you're looking at 20, 21, and 22 there. If they can give you a real rotation player who you feel will make you better next year, and you're getting to pick a guy a little bit lower in the draft who will still be able to contribute to you, I mean, that, that can be a win. There's like There's no harm in taking the phone call about that. It's like, if the Hawks call and they say Tabo Cephalosha and 21 for 10. Mm. It's not great for the books, but you don't lose anything by listening to a call that goes veteran defender and shooter plus the 21st pick for, or do we want to take Scalabizier or Henry Allenson or, or reach on someone? It's like, that's a phone call worth taking to just think it through have the conversation and see what, how you feel on it. It doesn't sound appealing, and I understand. Look, we'll if we're talking about this, if the three of us actually seem to agree on this now, and we're talking about it this far out, we'll have posts sort of on this topic closer to the time. And these are the sort of posts I'd expect us to get some heat for. But once again, it's about getting out ahead. This is all it's about. It's about zigging when everyone else is zagging. Uh, so, from the books point of view, that might be get your veteran early, get a mid-range or later first-round pick, and call that a good draft. That's all you needed. You didn't need to go and get 10 overall. Decisions we made, we'll talk about it probably every week nearly between now and then. Um, but... Books have options, and options are a good thing. Let's just hope they fully utilize them. Um, if they pick a guy at 10, they want to be sure that he is a starter. That's what I'd say. I don't, I don't think they yeah, should be picking anyone at 10 if they don't think this is someone that sort of gets rid of the need for looking for someone in free agency. And the problem with a lot of centers around there They've said they want to re-sign Miles Plumley. Henson's tied in. So even if they trade Monroe, you've got two guys getting paid good money and a first-round top 10 pick center. That's not going to fly so easy. So there's decisions to be made. Let's hope they handle everything a little bit better than they did last year in hindsight. Yes. Let's move on to the mailbag. First one from Alex underscore Koenig 023. We touched on this, but I suppose didn't get into it specifically. Can uh, MCW Yanis backcourt work together? I guess the simple answer to this is it depends on who else is on the floor. It's, it's tough because Parker is going to be one you'd nearly need a stretch-shooting big man at center for it to be in any way plausible. Uh, I, don't, I still don't know if it's plausible. What does MCW do on offense if he's not running the offense? Like, what is his role on offense then? I, I mean, he's, he's good at cutting for dunks, but 
I mean, if he can only he's do that... Cut, and he's was... going to drive occasionally. And, I mean, he would get more space with Giannis, the tread of Giannis with the ball in his hands more often. Like, teams would completely ignore Michael Carter-Williams. Yeah, so, how much space would Giannis lose? Giannis would all of a sudden be running into two yeah, guys double every time he wants to drive. Yeah, yeah it, it would be horrible. I don't think it works at all. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very confident it works. I think... MCW needs the ball in his hands, um, and just <laughs> coming off the bench, six-man type role just makes so much sense to me uh, for him. And I just don't, barring some crazy again, <laughs> barring some crazy shooting improvement from <laughs> from three-point land for both Giannis and MCW. Uh, it's just it does not seem that does not make me feel confident at all. Uh, sorry, I just got distracted. I see Thunder Mavs is a one point game with a second left. Is what I'm seeing here. Oh, Jordan, are you watching Thunder Mavs right now? No, I'm not. Okay. Some of us are focused on the podcast, Adam. Yeah, I was the only one. Well, maybe not the only one. I was not watching Raptors Pacers, that's all I'll say. I, I won't divulge who amongst our staff was watching Raptors Pacers. I mean, you'd never guess, but... <laughs> Next one from at Alex underscore Kang 3 This is the big juicy one we've all been waiting for. How much does it hurt to watch Norman Powell be a competent, real NBA player and we are stuck with a broken Vasquez. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out, because this uh, is becoming a Twitter thing now, a lot of people have pointed out, you know, the Bucks maybe wouldn't have drafted Norman Powell anyway, so it doesn't hurt so bad. And Is that supposed to make me feel better? It fails to do that. Because it's, it's like saying, yeah, they probably would have blown that pick anyway. So don't even feel bad about it. I mean, if they had selected their own guy, it probably would have been someone who doesn't get minutes and isn't good anyway. So that that doesn't comfort me at all. That's supposed to make me feel better. It does not. Um, it sucks. I mean, it's it's not. It's like the you know like Dirk trade and the the supposed Steph trade, and that it's not like that. And he's not that good. That's not what I mean. But in that you know there was it wasn't a sure thing. Like if the trade doesn't happen, the Bucks would not for sure have Norman Powell. But it does suck to give away that pick as basically a throw-in along with another pick who, please God, do not let that pick be a very good player in 2017 for a rental of a injured Grievous Vasquez. It, it definitely stings. Yeah, I, I uh, tweeted this maybe if, probably a week ago by now, but uh, I know everybody is still clinging to the, oh, we should think of Bobby Portis. Uh, whole uh, line of thinking, but uh, Norman Powell's looking pretty good, <laughs> and especially with where the Bucks are at with Giannis, point Giannis and stuff like that, you could easily put him at the one, and he would be a very productive player for them right away. And uh, yeah, they missed the boat. This the boat. I want to ask. <laughs> I want to ask you, Jordan, when did Norman Powell start to look like a pretty good player? 
Because I know it wasn't just like the last. Like I know he started the playoff game, and that's really what kicked this off. Post All Star break. Once once All Star break had sort of finished, he had a bigger role and kicked into gear. From what I understand, is that right, Jordan? No, yeah, you're right. And even like before that, he was playing very well in the D League again. It is different competition, but still, that you know, there was something. It wasn't just like out of sheer, you know, give you an actual role. It was there was consistent line of think or uh, progress over the course of uh, since coming to Toronto. And even another guy like that they had too, or that they drafted that year, uh, Delon Wright. He was you know one of these guys. I remember. I think we actually probably even talked about him in the draft preview. Maybe not. Could be wrong. Anyway. But he was one of those guys too that he's had a bigger role over time, and it's like, oh, it makes sense that he's doing really well because he was already showing this, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I yeah. I can't get even a little bit mad about this. I don't buy into not taking him being something because for obvious reasons we have no idea to pick them, and I don't think that reflects on that they would have made a mess of the pick or they wouldn't have done the right thing. They drafted a shooting guard in the first round, so they were never going to go and use their second round pick on another shooting guard. It just it really, I, I think the chance of that happening would have been slim to none. I see nothing to get mad about here. Yeah, historically it's unfortunate. It looks bad. Of course the books could have had him. Maybe now they need some players like that. I don't think that's the place the team was in last summer. I, it's real hindsight is twenty twenty. That that whole trade is, but particularly this aspect. I, I don't know about that. I think that I, I know I was against the trade right away, and that was before I even knew who Norman Powell was. You give up two picks for a guy with one year left on his deal when your best players are twenty one, twenty one, and twenty three or twenty four. How old Middleton is? I mean, I didn't think it was a good trade right away. I don't think it was a universally adored trade on draft night. It's the sort of thing, though, that if Vasquez is healthy and gives the season he gave for the Raptors last year, and if it's any other second-round guy other than Norman Powell, pretty much, so the guys who went after him are all no-names, complete no-names. Most of them are actually still in Europe or somewhere else. I think Brandon Dawson is the only player who actually made it to the NBA. So let's say they take Brandon Dawson and... Vasquez works out. All of a sudden, no one cares. It's like it is. Of course, it's a it's a byproduct of how disastrous Vasquez has been for the books. So that becomes a part of it. It's not that at the time people did didn't didn't like or it's not really even about sort of the immediate reaction to it. It's that it's only got worse as time has gone on. I think that's what impacts the perception of it now. And uh, Pell is, it's great. It's great for Norman Pell. He's a, he's the anomaly though. Look at that second round. And then, as I said, the books picked a shooting guard. If they did draft Bobby Portis, then you'd be able to go. Yeah, they could have been Norman Pell could have been their guy. They drafted Vaughn. Vaughn was their shooting guard. Chances of them taking two were slim. Remember, this was a roster that was loaded up with point guards. They had so many point guards that. They didn't exactly need to load up on shooting guards, too. I think it's completely irrelevant, and it misses the point of how the draft and draft trades work 
to get bogged down on this. So that's when I see Norman Powell tweets, I'm not going to reply to you. Simple as that. If you tweet me about Norman Powell, I'm not taking the bait. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. Was never really a books player. Let's let's all talk about oh Dirk trading Dirk away. Well, it wasn't a books player. I think that's. I mean, they got Robert Trailer for it. I think it's fair to deride that trade too. But they didn't pick Dirk. They wanted Robert Trailer. If you trade away the pick to pick a worse guy, it's still it doesn't on. Doesn't matter. You. They wanted Robert Trailer. That's like, stupid, then. That's on uh, them. Because they could have, they could have traded. It could. If it was the other way around, they wanted Dirk. They traded for Dirk. It's like the outcome can't decide whether it was the right decision. It's yes, it absolutely. Can. No, it that's can't what because there's a part in it. But they've got to pick the guy they believe is the right decision at the time. No one has this sort of perfect vision of what every prospect is going to turn out to be. So all you can ask is that if they felt Robert Trailer was the perfect guy at the time. That's who you want to pick. You don't want them to go, we think this this is the guy, but that might be the guy, so we'll take him instead. It's not how it works. You've got to take who they feel is right. If they prove to be I wrong, mean, they're wrong. That's everyone pays the NBA, I'm not giving out actually. I'm not giving out participation trophies. I mean, if you pick someone who ends up being a no name guy and you trade away the rights to Dirk Nowitzki for him, it's it's a bad move in hindsight. I, I disagree, and particularly when Dirk came later. So it wasn't even like the books had made the pick and then it happened. There are, there are different contexts to deals like that. I think that particular one, and the same applies for Norman Powell. It's like, it's not really anything. It's just it just because the pick has the book's name on it. You could just as easily say, like, I don't know, a team like the Clippers, when, as you said earlier, the Cavs got the number one overall pick and picked Kyrie Irving. That's like going to the Clippers. Damn, we 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 should have had Kyrie Irving. We traded away the chance for that. You traded away way before it was the chance for that. So it doesn't matter. It wasn't your pick. You could have picked someone completely wrong. So that's different than making the trade on draft night, though. That's a not, lot. Different. It's, yes, it's it not. is. Once the, once the deal is made, it's done. It's not your pick anymore. It, it might be the guy might have Milwaukee books come up on the screen when he's selected, but it's still not your pick. The timing doesn't really matter. You're parting with the pick before it's a player, so it doesn't really matter who the player is then. If they pick Norman Powell and an hour after the draft is finished, they trade Norman Powell. Very different. But that trade came in, I'm going to say, when we were at about 14 on the draft clock. Because I remember the panic that set in for me of going, oh crap. I've got the first round pick and three picks, and I now need to get a piece out about Grievous Vasquez. So that pick was made before the books even picked at 17. So never mind who went to 46. It's like, wasn't in the books' plans. Once they got in negotiations, they wanted Vasquez. They weren't thinking about Norman Powell. Norman Powell had nothing to do with them. That's up to the Raptors. And let's be real about it the Raptors picked up the pick like an hour and a half, two hours before they got there. They might have liked Norman Pell. They didn't head into that draft going, my God, we've got to get our hands on Norman Pell. I mean, he's the steal of the second round. These things work out in different ways, and that's how we viewed them. But the pick was gone. It was never Milwaukee's by the time the player was selected. So I don't see how we can see a sense of regret in that. That's like saying any time you pick before someone. And that, in that case, 
the Bucks, they miss out on Kobe. Miss out on Kobe to the same token. The Bucks actually to... did draft Norman Powell, though. That's because draft rights don't convey from a trade that's made on draft night. So if I'm, it will go down. They did take him. No, they didn't because it was no, really the Raptors' pick. The, the trade was finalized after that. The trade the was selected trade, Norman Powell. The trade was announced yeah. in the middle of the first round. It can't be ratified until later. You can't convey draft or your draft rights over on draft night. Once you get to draft night, it doesn't matter. That's how you have like uh, who was it famously? That's even last year. Uh, Jerry and Grant, or was it Kelly Oubre? I can't remember. Oubre. One. One of them was drafted and went up on stage and put a Hawks hat on. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter. That's the way it is. The trade can't be ratified because everyone who matters is sort of busy at the time. But the deal has been agreed. The deal was announced. It's all about then, who do the Raptors want? The Raptors make a phone call. We want Norman Powell. The books go, we're picking Norman Powell because that's what they need to make the trade happen. It's like, for me, it's just, it's, I understand Norman Powell could become a great player. This could be the beginning, and people talk about it for years. There's just no real basis to it because it's so wrapped and lost in hypotheticals that it's like... <coughs> That's what it's like. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm just disappointed. Alex Koenig will be delighted that he wrapped us up in that so much and got so much time out of that. I'm very conscious of not making this a three-hour podcast because I know how much joy he will get out of that. So we're going to move on to the next question. The next one is from Alex. We've answered it, though. A tenant draft or the books options move up, down, stay put, who's available, what would you do? We've definitely covered that. Next one from Ashmetastic. As the applicant to be political correspondents... Some of you might have heard we put an advert out last week. Um, Matt has replied. But as the applicant to be political correspondent, the owners have seemed to throw their confidence behind Jason Kidd and have hinted at an extension. Should they hold off and see how the off-season and into next season goes? 100% yes. <laughs> That's the least yeah, Jordan has ever sat in the fence. Yeah. Well, what has he shown that that proves he deserves an extension after last season? I mean, I would say nothing. I would say that we all agree the team looked better under Joe Prunty. So, like, why would you give him an extension right now after? Well, I mean, according to us, he was the second best coach on the who coached the Bucks last year. We've got late night loose tongue Ty Windish now. Uh... <laughs> that Norman Powell debate. I don't know if regular listeners notice, but there is often a time where Ty's mood switches over. This is no BS Ty now. He's here to finish out the mailbag. The moon is... This is a sneak preview of what maybe could happen if Johnny O'Brien gets traded or cut. Uh-oh. Well, I mean, we all agree that, that Joe Prunty looked like a better coach, right? Is this, this is No, news. no, I, I agree with that. So it's like, really, I mean, it's just common sense. Why would you give a guy an extension who wasn't the best coach on the team last year? That doesn't make sense to me. 
That's not how business works. There's just no reason to give him an extension before his contract is up. No one else is clamoring to yeah, get this... him. That's why you give someone an extension, is if you're worried someone else is going to go and take them from under you. Who wants Jason Kidd? It's... it's not like this is... It's not like this is a... a, like a, a he's not Brad Stevens. Savvy cap situation. No, I mean, it's not like he's a player where if you don't extend him, he hits the open market. I mean, you yeah, can do this stuff in-house whenever. Coaching because if they felt like oh, bigger team X is going to come and poach Jason Kidd away. Obviously tied into a contract, it's harder for them to do that. There's more compensation, whatever. No one wants him. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't I'm think not, anyone I'm is. not saying that. I know how that sounds. But <laughs> no other team is going to go out of their way to get Jason Kidd. They might say Jason Kidd is a fine coach. He's whatever. But... He's not like you can argue. You can argue the only team that went out of their way to get Jason Kidd was the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it falls into, and I want to say it's Bill Simmons who this is one of his many theories in his book of basketball. And there's there's like a couple coaches that are very good and they're championship coaches, and then every other coach is essentially replaceable. And it's just like a moving carousel, and it honestly doesn't make that much of a difference. I don't think that's really an insult to Jason Kidd, but that's where he is right now. It's the same with players. If you look at Vorp, value over replacement players, how about value over replacement coaches? Because that's, that's really what we're talking about here. I mean, he hasn't done enough to show that he is above replacement level yet. Yeah. Just, there's no... There's no reason to give him an extension that isn't political. It's like, go and prove yourself this season. If you are the coach, if you're as good as you are, you know, maybe you'll go, you'll do so well this season that next year we'll give you your extension and we'll give you front office power and everyone will feel that you've earned that right. But he hasn't earned either of those rights at the moment. So yeah. it's give him, give him a contract year. We'll see what that does for players. Why would you just sort of give him a cushion and go, you know what, have have a four-year contract, Jason Kidd. You're you're doing things the right way. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, it, it, I agree completely. This is the mad mailbag this week. Next question. Yeah. Uh, at Metastic, if the books were all to become animals... Oh, man. This is, this is just going to take the that heat out of the air. If the books were all to become animals, would Yanis and his love for hugging... That's news to me. Um, or Jabari be more likely to become a cat? Neither one of them would be yeah. cats. No, uh, Chris Middleton would be a cat. Chris Middleton's cat. Don't quiet. say that. I like Middleton. Uh, he's he's. I I don't want to say what I'm. I'm not going to say anything. No, else no one's getting my implication there either. I see Jordan's eyes. Um, what? What Metastic is getting at is Jabari Parker, major cat. There was another tweet. I think he might have deleted it or maybe I missed it. But there was another tweet sort of related to that. Major cat. The thing about that is major is important there. He's not just any old household cat. He's, He's a major lynx. cat. He's a lynx. He's like a, or, a cougar. Well, I don't know about that one. That's... <laughs> It, maybe a cheetah, he's not that fast. Maybe a transition. Uh, 
Lion oh, Tiger. We're going through the whole big cat family here, but that's the point. He's a major. Ooh, cat. ooh, ooh, I got a good one. Maybe he's an ocelot. Don't even know what that is, so that could be good. Oh, dude, Google ocelot. They're pretty cool. I, I wouldn't even know how to Google that. O-C-E-L-O-T, O-C-E-L-O-T, ocelot. There's your word of the day. I'm taking over Jordan's section. It's a major cat. That's the definition. Uh, this looks like a normal cat. It's bigger. It's bigger than a normal cat. It's an ocelot. Hashtag, hashtag normal cat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is this like, a, what is this, a dog-sized cat? It looks tiny. Yeah, I mean, that's bigger than a cat, man. Get a dog, then. Yeah. It's also known as the dwarf leopard. Uh, he's a, he's can, better can, than an ocelot. Uh, they can weigh up to 40 pounds, my man. That's a big cat. That's a major cat. It's a medium dog. It's not a major cat. Major cat was the other ones. Um, Yanis or Jabari be more like a cat? I don't know. I don't think we've answered that, but it's probably time to move on. Um, Alex underscore Koenig 023. Who do we keep? Who do we let go? Brackets free agents. What price is too much to pay for each gut? Let's run through them. Jared Bayless. Should he stay or should he go? Stay for the right price. Jordan stay. is desperately trying to think of clash puns. Um, yeah. London's is calling. Oh, God. <laughs> Jared Bayless is going to start his own expansion franchise. Um, what is the right price? That's in the question. What's the maximum you pay for Bayless? Seven million. That's my. As he's gonna probably get more than that. That's my gut. That's a lot, but I'll probably go nine. Oh, uh, I say I say keep him if you can get him like on a stupid cheap contract for six million where no one's been paying attention. You had to undercut me by one, huh? It wasn't about undercutting you. It was about six as high as I go. I'm not paying seven. It's not coming if out of my pocket. I don't know if. Uh, it'd have to be some type of deal. Nine is not nine is not bad in a vacuum, but for where the books cap situation is, oh, nine million to Jared Bayless makes the future very grim. This place, this team is not going far if Jared Bayless has a nine million contract. It's more than like a year long. If it's nine million for one year and you've no other use for cap space, I'm fine with that. But multi-years at that price, I'm running in the opposite direction and letting the Sixers, who want to be better now, give Jared Bayless three years, 27 million. Yeah, that's, so a that's, that's too much. A, we're saying Bayless stay, but price is important. Um, you can hashtag along with this. That's why I've made it easy. Bayless stay, Bayless go. Um, voice your own opinions. Uh, Plumley next. Keep him no matter what, Max deal. Really though, Ty? No, not really. Obviously not really. How much do I pay for Plumley? Well, you're saying he stay, he should stay if they can do it right. Yeah, I think he should stay if they do it right. But I mean, the price for Plumley is, I mean, there's a lot of center talk in this draft. I mean, if they come away with Diamond Stone or Yakub Poodle or one of those big centers or Scal. Well, not Scal, but if they come away with a good big center, I mean, do you really want to pay 
like eight million for Miles Plumley and eleven million for John Henson and three probably ish million for the rookie center who is and not going to be able to get minutes. Most importantly, fifteen million for Greg Monroe. Because, I mean, that's if, even if 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 even if you do trade him, you're paying too much to centers. I I don't know if they're going to be able. I think they want to keep him, which is nice. But if you have to pay him any more than five million, I don't know how affordable it is. Well, the Mavericks beat the Thunder. Oh man, I can't wait to hear Kevin Durant give some quotes after that. I'm so happy. I I have that series in five, so that game is making me feel better. Um, Jordan, did you speak yet? I was just not. No, concerned. I have not. <laughs> Your turn, uh, then, Jordan. Where you go? I I'll go. I'm gonna go the opposite of Bayless. I'm gonna go six. Six mil. Okay. Um, Seven mil. Boom. I'll raise it up. One. Jordan's splashing that cash in here. He's like, he's like Greg Monroe. I easily in the negotiations. <laughs> Greg Monroe in the strip club. That's your new nickname. Um, oh my God. No. I am going to say stay for Plumley. I would be prepared to pay him more under the premise that it meant Monroe was going to be somewhere else. Um, eight to nine is good. I do think there's a possibility he could go cheaper than any of us are thinking because at the end he of the day, he, he is still Miles Plumley, and I, I think we might be overestimating just how much the Plumley word has got out there. And he's more valuable to the books than he is to a lot of other teams. Um, a sort of solid but not elite defender who's a really good rim runner isn't going to do a lot for every team in the league. It just happens to be perfect for the books. So that could be one where I feel like our value, same way I applied to Bayless. Both guys could go a lot cheaper because we happen to think they're valuable where just the books are so lacking in things that are valuable that it's like we found a shiny coin it must be gold I think that's, yeah, a good, but... that's a good line to finish on oh man you took my thing I, I don't think I'm going to come out with a better line than that tonight to describe Bayless and Plumley. It was. I mean it was a good line but I had a, a money thing well, you've ruined it now so just do it anyway that's if you pay him nine million. That's twenty percent of the cap on him and Henson, which is only thirteen percent of your roster. When you said a money thing, I thought like it was gonna be a funny money thing. I didn't realize. I do stats sometimes. Hi, bring down the tone of the podcast with his hard hitting numbers. Logic. Um, that's not what people tune in for. Next one from. MSB and Nola. Who would you target as long-term realistic fits a point guard and center? I assume this is a free agent question. I'm thinking it's going that way, but I mean, if it's a draft, a player in the draft, that's fine. If we're going to use draft players for this exercise, I'd say no more than one. Let's not go, well, Let's they trade down and draft both. That's exactly what I was going to do. Yeah, you can't do that. It's too easy. 
I can't uh, say Denzel Valentine and Diamond Stone. No, you can say one or the other. Damn it, Adam. <clears throat> Long-term fits. I'll start off with center, because I have a few names I like. Um, oh, oh, we should plug Shinano Onuaku, draft-wise. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, though. Oh, well, that's... He's going to be the guy that next year the Bucks will have traded away a second-round pick that he was selected with, and he's a star in the playoffs, and people will be losing their mind over Shinano Onuaku. And regular listeners will know we were there first. No. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Stephen Adams is I don't, I don't even think he's a free agent this summer I'm just going to say Stephen Adams yeah, because I was, I was going to say like that, there's I, not that much in this free agency class I'm not excited about I really want Stephen Adams <laughs> just get me Stephen Adams books it's as simple as that Stephen Adams by the way has a new uh, mustache oh, wax limited edition that's why you brought this up no I really want Stephen Adams but this just is appropriate if any of you sport mustaches that you like to keep well-groomed, Google Stephen Adams Mustache Wax. And I can't remember the name of the website, but you'll find that I have ordered some. I'll report back when it arrives. Hopefully this is going to go much better than Vasquez yes and Vasquez no went. Uh, but <laughs> I will give updates on how Stephen Adams Mustache Wax works out. Another one who it only occurred to me today and reason why will probably become apparent in the next week or so, but uh, Festus Azeli, restricted free agent. Unaffordable. Is he really? Why is he not yes. going to... He could be... Miles, a lot. He could be 9, 10 million, Miles Plumlee money. No, he's going to get more than that. People uh, really, really like Festus. He's younger. Festus, he's 26. He's one year younger. Uh, if he gets he more... If he gets more than 10 million, someone's lost their mind. I bet he gets ten million. Ten million is okay if they decided he 10 was. Ten million is not okay. It not is. when you, you have an instant too. Yeah, but you're gonna you get rid of Monroe. I, even if you get rid of Monroe, that's looking over twenty million. The two guys who play the exact same position, who can never play right next to each other. Trade Henson next year. If you if you think Festus Azidi can be your long-term center, I mean, make the ten million offer and then try to move the other pieces to make it work. Do you know what his favorite Seinfeld episode is? No, but Festivus I'm really, Festivus. I'm really excited for this. Festivus, Festivus is really. Took my tweet. I thought there was a real answer to that. I, I really wanted to know what his favorite Seinfeld. And that's obviously, that's obviously his favorite episode. Shaq watches Seinfeld. Wale watches Seinfeld. Anyone who doesn't get the Shaq watches Seinfeld reference. We're not friends anymore. We're not friends anymore. Jordan? We're friends. Oh, that was a lie. I know it was a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Any of you listening who get the Shaq Watch a Seinfeld reference, tweet at me. We're bros for life. You got to show up for the next three-hour podcast, though. Oh yeah, I'll I'll need new podcast friends because I'm yeah we're things. we're out now so um is anyone else giving answers? I love how I'm the only one giving um, real answers here. I, I don't like this free agency class. I said two draft guys. I wasn't allowed to do that, so I guess I'll say 
I don't even know what I don't even know what free agency point guys there's gonna be. Well then Jared, pick Galloway is an intriguing one. You can pick Valentine and say would you like him as being the point guard and then who's your center? Can I say Miles Plumley? If that's what you want to say, Ty, I'll let you say whatever it is you want to say. Except Valentine and Stone. Well, yeah, that's true. Because I, I think the question was aimed at free agency, so I don't. I want to give the people what they want as well. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I, I, everyone says we want these veterans without ever putting a name on it. Like, I don't know what veterans are drawing here's, people here's in. The point guard, um, restricted free agent this summer. It's going to be expensive, but once again, if they like it, they make a run, and if it doesn't work out or it's out of the price range, fine. Delhi? Jordan Clarkson. Oh, I thought you were going to say Delhi. No, Jordan Clarkson's not the worst fit. Um, it's like there, there are guys who, if they want to go that route... I really like Delhi, to be honest. I'll, I'll say Delhi and Diamond Stone, I guess, if they trade down. I really like Matthew Delhi. I think he he showed out in some of those playoff games, some of that playoff game. And look, they have to re-sign LeBron James. It's almost certain he goes back. It's not entirely certain, but if you give Delhi uh, a fairly big but not insane offer early, the Cavs struggle to match that while they're negotiating with Bron Bron money. Because oh, I, I think they can go over the cap to get him, but they couldn't go over the cap to get other people, and they're already cash strapped. So I think it's very possible for a team to steal away Delhi, and I would like the Bucks to be that team. Another point guard, not necessarily the long-term point guard, but I mean, there's ways where he's a fit. He might be a better fit than some of what's there. Jeremy Lin's a free agent this summer. Oh, God. I know what me saying that and suggesting that opens up to, but if we think of it in terms of fit, not the worst fit. Centered, there's so many options really. Um, Jan Mahimi, unrestricted free agents, has had a really good season and does a lot of what the books could do with Um Amir Johnson, I was. Yeah, definitely. Long term favourite. Even if he wasn't the starter, if he was your power forward centre off the bench, that would ask questions about Henson, but really nice option. Biznak Biombo, someone we really wanted last year, has a player option. Like he's going to opt out. He's opting out for sure. He's got money waiting for him. Good centers. There really is. Like if the books yeah. are unsure about center, this is the summer to act on it. And really, like if there's any doubt over Greg Monroe, get him out of here and get your guy. There's... It's funny, I think this year's free agent class mirrors the draft class. It's got like, it's not top-loaded with stars who are really attainable, but it's deep. It's like the sort of class where if you get the right three guys, you filled out your roster really well. Yeah, I agree. More enthusiastic agreement <laughs> from my... I agree! <laughs> the next one from uh, Pencil2292 what are your thoughts on drafting Ton Maker as an Australian he and Simmons are currently getting a lot of coverage here 
Second round, if he's there, I'd take him. Um, uh, there's a lot of things I'm not a fan of of his. Uh, I think he, I think he is one of those guys that he has a lot of highlights, all this stuff. I just don't know what kind of basketball player he'll be, and that's kind of frightening. <laughs> um, so I, I personally wouldn't take him. Uh, I wouldn't be going out of my way to take him. I, I just don't know what the books have the need for him, even if he, if he is that. If he's best-case scenario, I just still don't know. Does it butt heads with some of the books' other plans, or what way does the team factor in another guy to fit in? This is really one of those ones where they need a D-League team. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, Don no, needs to be a guy put in the D-League. Because what I was about to say is there, there is teams around the NBA where this would be a worthwhile gamble. It just feel like the books have too much figured out already for as much as they don't have figured out they have a lot of the important details ironed out and it's like I'm not sure what's the game by him where it feels like he either pans out and is incredible high potential or he's going to be a complete burnout flop I, I just don't feel like there's a middle middle ground for him and that's not great for the books yeah, I mean, for me, it's even if he doesn't fit, I feel like, you know, a second round pick, you're, it's a, it's low odds, like you were saying, all the guys you read off before, that they're even NBA players really at all. So if there's even a small chance, and I've seen some people who, whose opinions I trust very, very much on scouting say that he's got a very high ceiling. I mean, even if there's a very small chance he pans out to that ceiling, I say, look, if he's there in the second round. You know, I'd give him the shot, and if he pans out, if he doesn't fit, you can trade him. Um, I, I just don't really see what the lose is. I mean, I'm very protective of first-round picks, but in a year when the Bucks have two second-round picks within five of each other or whatever, I would probably be willing just to take the home run swing, and if you miss, you're not striking out. You you have more pitches to, to swing at. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. Uh, one thing I will say on him is I... I think he is not the best decision maker at the moment that I'm talking off the court and his advisors are definitely not the best group of advisors because if he doesn't declare this year he'd spend some more time working on his game he could be a first round pick with a big money contract to begin with and chances are he's going to get a small contract and that could be it if he doesn't reach his potential he'll have burned a lot of bridges lost a lot of opportunities it makes zero sense for him I, I don't know what anyone around him thought was going to be achieved by this. Did they think him declaring was going to make him top five or first round pick? I'm saying that there's some crazy teams out there, so we'll wait and see what happens in draft night, but it just seems very unlikely. Next one from at Katan Moo. Um, would you rather the books have a top five pick this year or next year? I I don't know anything about next year. Yeah, I'm on that one, which it's it's enough of an ask for me and Ty to 
get to where we need to get on the current year's draft class without being a year ahead. I I, I know bits and pieces. I know about some of the top guys. Uh, that's about it, though. I mean, t- top five, I suppose, if you're talking next year. I've heard good things about top five guys, but I don't know enough. And to be honest, none of us have really seen enough to say if Jason Tatum or Josh Jackson are going to be better than top five guys this year because we sort of need to see them in college to get an idea of what they really are. Yeah, I mean, you're talking some high school guys. That's that's way too early for me. That's crazy to me. You're talking about 17, 18-year-olds. I, I, I can't say where they should be drafted to go save a franchise in the NBA. I just I can barely do it with college guys, to be honest. I think it's one of the hardest things is looking at these 19, 18-year-old guys and saying, oh, he's going to project to be this and potentially save the Lakers or you know the Timberwolves or the Sixers, really. I mean, it's tough to do that with guys who have played a year in a competitive league like the NCAA or certain uh, European and international leagues. I think it's impossible to do it to guys who have played in high school. Like, to put it in perspective, I just pulled up the 2017 mock from Draft Express, and the highest-ranked guy they have who's currently in college is Thomas Bryant from Indiana at 7. And to put the perspective on that, Bryant was like a late first round to early second round pick in most mocks until he announced he wasn't going to declare. So even that is assuming a big jump from him. So at the moment, there's not the evidence to say next year. It could be the case that next year is much better, but on hard evidence, I'll stick with what I know and say this year. Um, next one from at it's a piece of Jake who do you think were more disappointed this year Jim and John or Johnson and Johnson I've got to say Johnson and Johnson I think Jim and John are used to this that's fair I think maybe Marcus Marcus knows the books a little bit more I don't think he maybe was quite as invested, but even the final game that he called, Gus Johnson talked about a big part of the appeal for him was this exciting young team, and it's like I don't think he thought this was what he was signing up for. He uh, just an offside, uh, offside here, an aside. I mean, every time he does a, a call where he transitions, it feels exactly like a video game to me. Like in 2K when they show like the the players the fake players talking in a side room, it feels like it's it's like about to turn into a video game. That's not. Meant I know to be I know what you mean. It's like him. it's it's a bit like say if robots descended upon the earth and they constructed like the perfect transition. Yeah. Like he does the same transition every time. I, I was gonna say the perfect commentator more than the transition that, because that it's too. all it all sort of ties together with him. He switches to a different voice when he's transitioning. And you talk about a guy like Greg Monroe. It's like, it's like, the little, it's like you, I don't know. You sort of lost that. It was good for a second, and then it became Mick from Rocky. Yeah, which is did. maybe yeah. your go-to impression. But yeah, but really, that and Rock himself. There's yeah. a big distance between Gus Johnson and Mick from Rocky. 
Just cut out the part where I say Greg Monroe, and it's a really good Gus Johnson impression. Jordan, have you anything to say on the Gus Johnson impression topic? Uh, I was searching uh, mightily for a Dwight Howard reference, but I couldn't think of anything to say. Um, yeah, I think that he, they're probably more disappointed. Uh, yeah. Just, just on a note on the broadcast team, um, seemingly Marcus is the only one under contract to return next year. Yeah. Do you want to see the whole gang back together? I do, but I'm I'm a, I'm a little worried that they had this big event for uh, Jim and John. I'm a little worried that looking back, like, what if that was a, a send-off? I don't think so. I mean, the the year was the year, so it sort of... It wasn't yeah, like they just planned I, I, it. I, I hope. I, I like Jim and John, don't get me wrong. I'm just looking back, the fact that they don't have contracts, and the Bucks apparently extend guys all the time. Uh, even if their contracts aren't up, their contracts all expired. So, I don't know, it's a little worrying. Like that would be genuinely, I think, the most controversial decision the ownership would have made is if Jim and John don't get renewed. And I, I, to be honest, I don't see it. If if Johnny Mac doesn't come back, that would be, I think, his own choice. And yeah, maybe, they, they maybe there is, like, there, there could be reason for that. He does so few games now as is. He doesn't travel or whatever. That's plausible. Jim Paschke is like 100% books basketball still. And he's so involved in everything. When you think he's the guy who does all their own video content for them, it's more than him just being the broadcaster. It's like all the YouTube stuff. All throughout the summer, he goes everywhere. He goes to Summer League. He does all the stuff from like draft workouts. He talks to Greg Monroe in a weirdly <laughs> acoustic place. So windy, place. too. I need to. So I still haven't windy. seen that. I need to after we finish go and find. I think it. I think a tornado was passing directly overhead when they filmed that, <laughs> and Jim was just too dedicated. The one for me, I'd have big doubts over is Gus Johnson because I'm sure Gus Johnson is in demand for various sports, maybe even various teams this summer. Does he really want to come back for another year, of books basketball? I think he likes. I him. talked to Gus Johnson, and he said that he was talking to teams. I guess <laughs> Maybe, maybe he will want to be wherever Dwight Howard is. Oh man! Huh? Well, apparently Dwight's coming to <laughs> He's gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna say Gus Johnson could be the Orlando Magic coming there next year. Oh my god! Um. Oh. No, I, I hope all four of them are back. They are all incredibly different, but in their own unique ways, add so much to watching books games. Without them, I don't like to think of what this year could have been. Substitute in, like, the Celtics broadcast or the Rockets broadcast. I was going to say the Rockets, to me, is the worst one. Uh, the Rockets is just bad, and it's, it's Homer. It's Homerism at its worst, and it's not doesn't feel very knowledgeable. It's the thing well, with the I, calls... There's given. nothing worse than the Celtics. I can't... Tommy Hansen just shouting at the officials with a microphone is the worst possible thing I can listen to during a basketball game. Uh, he's I not even that good of an announcer, right? No, he's, he's not. He's just, he's just an angry old man. Wink. Wink. Oh, all right. 
There's a reference. <laughs> Sorry. Hashtag I get Jordan's jokes. Hashtag past Jordan's bedtime. Yeah. I'll do it. Last question. This one comes from a frightened inmate. Oh. Our very own Mike Helm. Master of predictions. And if for any of you who don't follow Mike on Twitter, you should be, but he's still nailing predictions in the playoffs. I'm worried that it's become like a vanity project for him that he has this this need to just share predictions with the world. And they're they're still I, I remember laughing because he had Hawks by three before the game, and I was like, three? This game this game is gonna be so much more than that. And then it becomes a close game and you're there, of course it's a close game. Mike said it would be a close game. He's good, man. He, he can take over and stump the Schwab. <laughs> Remember the hashtags? I, that's all I could say to that one. Well, that, I know that wasn't supposed to be funny. That was I'm just saying that was what it was. That's a real. Oh my God. I don't get. I don't get that reference. <laughs> Damn it. Last question from Mike. <laughs> Do you expect Hammond to stick around if he goes to take over as GM? We did this last week, but it's probably worthwhile to recap on it, considering the week that was. Do we expect him to stick around? I hope so, man. It sounds like he will, but... Come on, Jordan. You just have to give us yes or no. I don't want to... Well, I think his... Uh, Here we go. Uh... Business relationship with Jason is is good, and I think his social <laughs> relationship. <laughs> is this is this Jordan Lazary on the podcast or Jordan uh, Tresky? I will uh, very quickly for those of you who once again, if you're not on top of exit interviews, you're missing out. That was one we didn't quite touch on earlier in the podcast, but. <laughs> John Hammond rather unconvincingly spoke about his relationship with Jason Kidd. And let me see. I have it here. Um, (laughs) I think we have a very good working relationship. We communicate together. We talk together. We spend time together. You know, this is my favorite part. See if he sounds like anyone else. Get asked with hashtags if this reminds you of anyone. But, you know, it's a great thing. We have a business relationship and we have a social relationship. We spend some time with each other away from the office in the summers. So it's good. I enjoy my time with him. I I, I don't know if the rest of us should answer Mike's question or if we just end the podcast on that note. I want to know what they do together. Well, I will. I will say that for all those nice, warm things that Hammond said about Kid, Kid mentioned him once and didn't refer to him as my good friend John or anything like that. It was just, no, it was it was Hammond. It was it was as informal as your second names only. Hammond was what Kid referred to him as. So I don't know. I think we can't read into how Kid addresses people by their names because if history tells us anything, Jason Kidd does not care for your name. He does not care about you, Chuck. 
It just Hava's comments about his kids' religion. I mean, when you're describing your on. friendship with someone, you, that is the worst way to describe your friendship. Well, we have a business relationship, and that's great. And sometimes we hang out, and we play games. Part it of feels like it feels like PR for like that's like if the president was about to get divorced, and rumors oh, yes. rumors came out that the president is getting divorced, he would stand up. White, White House press secretary would call a press conference, and that's what would happen. He would say things like, we have a very good relationship. We communicate together. We talk together. We spend time together. It's like, I, I, I want John Hammond around. I've made this very clear. I think he's still around at the moment. We're on thin ice, but that ice is maybe equally thin for Jason Kidd. There's a lot of decisions to be made. A lot could happen either way, so... As usual, fun, interesting times around for the books. Uh, they won't just make life easy for us. There will be stuff going on. That is it for this week. Next week, come back, please. Um, we will have our end-of-season Milwaukee Books award show podcast. Um, I don't Wild know. Red carpet. We will be in full black tie. Um, I may or may not, probably may not, have special awards music to greet the announcement of every winner. Nadal Nazim will be there. <laughs> Just come back next week, please. Um, <laughs> that's it for this week. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Add us on Stitcher, follow us on SoundCloud, check out all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com. Thanks very much for listening, we will be back next week.